This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Take a selfie rocking one of our shirts from TeePublic and use the hashtag CBCWorthy for a chance to win two free tickets to see Captain Marvel in theaters March 8th. Just click the Shop Comic Book Click link in our show notes to make a purchase or follow us on Facebook for more information. Remember, you are worthy. Hello everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by Comic Book Click. As you know, I'm never alone, sir, please introduce yourself. We are Sex Bums, <laughs> and I am excited for today, I am Dan the Comic Book Man, but today I am both Dan the Comic Book and Movie Man, because... We have covering both the comic book and the movie for Scott Pilgrim. And yeah, have- this is this is a, a momentous occasion, mostly because I this is you know we're in, we're in our sixties um, when it comes to the episodes now. You know we've been doing this for over a year, and um, I think that one this is one of the first films you wanted to cover. This is one of the first. Oh, this was this was why um, I wanted to start this podcast because I wanted to be able to talk about Scott Pilgrim, not just the movie but the graphic novel. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're going to be tackling here today. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, a film uh, directed by Edgar Wright. I guess adapted from the comic by Brian Lee O'Malley. And this film hits uh, United States screens on August 13th of 2010. Did you see this film? I screen? saw this in theaters, yes. Oh, this must have blown your mind. Huh? Oh, it, it, what's crazy is... Uh, I I had a I have a huge love for Michael Cera, one of my favorite actors, very relatable to me. I, I think he's great in everything he does. Uh-huh. And when looking to see if I watched all of his movies, I was on IMDb just going through his entire filmography, and one of these up and coming movies said Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and I clicked on it, and I watched two trailers. I watched the international trailer and the regular trailer, the domestic trailer, and I was sold instantly. Just from the editing style to the music that they had in the trailer itself, it was just amazing. I told everybody, we have to see this movie, and I did. I watched it in theaters, and I this is in my top five favorite movies of all time. This will <laughs> always be in my... It's like talking about top five, this movie always makes the cut. Because I think it's not only Michael Sarah's best performance, but this is probably one of, one of the two of best Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. Like... Like, if I wanted to say his best movie before watching Scott Pilgrim, it was always Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that's a that's a, a lot of people's favorite um, Edgar Wright movie. And uh, a lot of people are fans of the Cornetto, tri- a Cornetto trilogy of films that he made uh, with the same characters in it, which would be um, it's Shaun of the Dead, it's um, At World's End. And Hot Fuzz. Is it? The World's End. Sorry. The World's Yeah, The World's End. Hot Fuzz was and the Hot second Fuzz, one. Yeah. yeah, and they were all just making fun of different... He was he was just doing a style to different uh, movie genres. Yeah, Edgar Wright's a very uh, stylist... Stylic? Well, I'm just... Stylistic. I am just mumbling everything today. Yeah, he's a very stylistic director. And this um, film is adapted from a comic that's very stylistic in its own right. Um, although it's a comic book, it actually takes a lot more from manga. Than it does anything else. You see a lot more of um, the way they shoot their action in the book, the way um, certain people express themselves 
Uh, and the original Scott Pilgrim books were in black and white, as manga is for the most part. For the most yeah, part. I, I, I didn't start reading the color editions until late in the game, but I kind of enjoyed the whole black and white thing about it. Yeah, I can't remember. They they say when it's black and white though, that it's uh, quite hard to distinguish characters, which I can kind of get. No, yeah, but <laughs> well, when you watch when you read the color edition, a lot of things that that like you wouldn't originally notice become more open in the front. Yeah, like a lot of the buildings in the background. Yeah, become definitely. more like oh, this this is you notice it in the movie, like uh after one of the I think it was the Roxy Richard fight. No, it was after the Todd fight when they're in the pizza in that place, Pizza Pizza. Yeah, in the background you see Honest Ed's. All right, but that's that it holds a bigger place in the comics. Than that was one of the um, fights. That was the first fight scene between Todd and Scott in the comics. Was at the Honest Ed Superstore. Oh, huh. well, this is what's funny is that um we've done older movies on this podcast but this movie uh sits at a very important place in like where uh comic book movies uh you know yeah this was be- this was during the time of the mcu this was like, like two years right in, in the beginning of yeah, the MCU. two years into the mcu so you only had maybe both the iron mans and uh the captain america yeah i think iron man 2 had come out already i think um captain america comes out in 2011 with thor Okay, so then this was only the so you only had Hulk and the first two Iron Man movies. Yes. So this Wasn't is when there's something in between there. No. No. It no, was you're right. You know, it you're was right. the it was uh, Iron Man, Hulk, and then Iron Man two. Definitely. Yeah. So so, yeah, so people were starting to get their footing. Um, starting to uh, get um a little bit more familiar with not only comic book characters but comic books, um, and just the overall culture shifting. YouTube is getting big. Uh, video game. Um, playthroughs are, are becoming humongous. Um, just the ability to use nostalgia to go back and uh, look at old games, old movies. And that's movies. what this movie did. It really hit a lot of sweet spots for SNES fans. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, it had yeah. a lot of Legend of Zelda songs. Uh, uh, you He plays Final Fantasy. In one, that's, the a funny, that's a funny scene as well. <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah, by the way, I learned the bass line for Final Fantasy VII, I think he says. But, yeah, you... Um, this film is made for the young adult. This film, in many Definitely. ways, uh, tries to act as if, you know, what, what what would life be like? And a lot of the books are that. Um, I tried to read all the comics that the film was based on so faithfully, but there are literally six volumes. Not six issues, six volumes. Each volume having over 150 pages. Yeah, and, uh, and the sixth book was written for the movie it was written for the movie it was a- it, the yeah, sixth it book was the adapted from the movie instead of the movie being adapted from the sixth book yeah the sixth volume comes out in 2010 so <laughs> it literally uh used uh, some of the film's elements to complete its story Which i think that's perfect like when you talk about comic book adaptations most comic book movies already have the source material that it's going off of but for a comic book to still be in its series and be based off of the movie instead of the movie being based off it is just a weird turn of events that i kind of like yeah it's a big deal and another thing is uh you know watchmen's been uh converted from comic book to film watchmen was 12 issues um other stuff like civil war same same thing this is six volumes this is ambitious just on the on the strength of the amount of content that had to get into this film for it to make sense. And uh, while rewatching it, I rewatched it yesterday after not watching it for a couple of years. I realized how quickly the film moves. Move. Oh, it's it almost super never paced. stops moving. It never stops being funny or action oriented or um, 
just the the visual effects and all that stuff. Of course, there it, is no pause where even you think where there's a pause where uh, when Wallace comes home drunk. Yeah. And you think, all right, it's probably going to do a fade to black and then cut to the next thing. No, it's just you hear another Zelda song and yeah. it just, it goes from night to day and Scott's already at the computer. Yeah. So, like, there is no pause in the time frame. And the thing is, uh, maybe I'm just misremembering, but I feel like Michael Cera is usually in slower films or just... I, you're, not, you're not wrong. He, he he is in movies that it's like it takes time to either like his character, get to know his character. Yeah, this is post-Juno. This is post Super Bad. Revolt, Super Bad, um, Nicki Nicki Infinite, Infinite playlist. playlist, yeah. Which that's the movie that made me like start liking Michael Cera. Like I liked him in in Super Bad in Year One. Yeah, because he, he is divisive. I dig the guy, oh, but I, I do think that there's him. a lot of people out there who can't get into his like. Awkward-y. He's, cor- yeah, he's like he's <laughs> yeah. quirky. He's yeah. It, it's very like trying to watch like your little brother like act. Right. Like it's it's weird, but then you get this movie where he's fighting like he has choreographed scenes and he looks like good yeah he he looks like well the comics it made him look scott pilgrim was more of like yeah i'd say like a like no he was he was he, he wasn't really somebody you like in the comics no but i mean you could argue that he that scott pilgrim in the film is probably not somebody you would like either depending no de- definitely not um it's like he's just so aloof with everything he does and that's another thing i think you know this film has a lot going for it but i do think that as i watch it now older I see it from a different perspective. Um, what Scott uh, feels in the beginning of the film and throughout the film for the most part about like life happening to him, you know, like these things just keep happening to me. How do they think? Keep... And he almost never takes control until the end when he decides that he's going to do something uh, against Gideon and, stuff. and earns the power of self-respect. Yeah. But I feel like um, as an adult now, as a as a grown man, <laughs> you know I turned thirty this year. Dan? Oh my I god! I turned twenty. All, I turned all my dreams are gone. That's it. That's it's all. I'm gonna go work in a factory, and that's just <laughs> that's just what I'm gonna do. I'm, no shade against anybody who works in factories, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like as an adult, there's a lot that is wrong with Scott's life that is Scott's actual fault. And well, if that's not, why the comics makes him sh- yeah. shows that he's a jobless loser. He's and if not his actual fault, he still has the power to change it. Um, him and Wallace live in a room where he owns none of the stuff. Is yeah. that his fault or is that Wallace's fault? That's not definitely not Wallace's fault. It was, it was, Can't blame know. the guy for owning things. One bed <laughs> they have in the comic and in the film. The, one they, bed. There's one bed. He lives across the street from his parents', parents old house. You know, his parents' old house where he grew up. You know, he doesn't seem ready to move. And make big changes. Oh, and, and that's the- why I love the fifth and sixth, especially the sixth one. In the sixth, the sixth volume, in the sixth volume, he he it's, he's already done with him and Ramona broke up or broken up, just like in the movie. But it's for like a long while. Like the last time you read volume five was like a year before volume six. Yeah. So like for this whole year, you're like, what's gonna happen to yeah, Scott's what's life? What's gonna happen to Ramona? And then when you get it to the sixth volume, he's back living with his parents. Oh my gosh! Come on, yeah. Scott. So that he really has to get his chicken out of the bird, like out of the nest, and and yeah. figure out who he wants to be. That yeah, makes like sense. it takes everybody to like to just tell him, like, listen, you have to start doing something. Like you can't just sit here. He's, there's a there's a panel where he's like laying on his couch playing PlayStation Vita. Oh, oh that's pretty updated. Yeah, that makes no, sense. No, yeah, it was <laughs> it was funny. Like you just see him play. It has the whole design of the PlayStation Vita, but he's very lazy in the comic, and yeah. in the in the movie he doesn't it doesn't portray him as lazy. It just portrays him as like clueless, but like. It's your fault you're clueless. But it, but you know what it is? It's it's he he's not proactive with anything. He doesn't see 
what he should do and then go does it. As a matter of fact, a lot of times in this film, Wallace is the person who tells him what he needs to oh, do. Oh, yeah. Wallace is like, you need to go get Ramona if, they, if, you, if you love her. Wallace is like, you need to go break up with knives or else I'm going to do that something about sweet it. sweet angel. Wallace goes, you need to go fight. What's his face? Um, Gideon and stuff. And we'll get into all those characters in a bit. But yeah, I feel like in the beginning, he's just, he's just not proactive. Things are happening around him and he just thinks it sucks. And he says a lot of that. He says that a lot in the, in the, in the oh, yeah. book. It oh, sucks. this sucks. And so when we first meet him, he is healing from a, a, a breakup, a, a pretty painful breakup. And, and he's, he's choosing to heal. Like... Well, he's choosing to heal. I don't think he's healed because Ramona remarks his hair and that sends him on a on a like because the last time he cut his hair was during his big breakup it was right before his big breakup and he thinks that the hair is why she broke up with him that and so it's, that, that's what it was in the comics yeah, yeah. in the comics it show like it maybe he, he she broke up with me because my hair looked bad right and so he he just just a mention of of something in the previous relationship just sends him spiraling down puts so his I don't, hat on yes yeah, so i don't know i don't know how um how repaired how uh you know how how much he rebounded off of envy who we meet later on but yeah he's in a happy relationship now with uh a, a high schooler named is knives. knives chow yeah knives she's chow. chinese she's chinese no what got me there's a lot of very human conversation in this and in a way that it doesn't feel like it's written for a movie and one of the parts that got me where i was just like they did not just go through that whole thing in conversation but she's like wait She's Chinese, and he's like, yeah. She's like, he's like Catholic school. She's like with the uniform and everything. And he's like, yeah, like, it's yeah. just nice. And she's like, oh my god. And it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of a trope. That's kind of what you see in in anime, in manga. You know, um, everyone yeah, goes the, to school. The school they all got uniform. Girl with the uh, with the uniform and everything. Yeah, and so uh, he literally snatched a girl from the comic books. You know what I'm saying? He literally snatched a girl from the manga. And um, how do you feel about that? Did that make you feel uncomfortable at all after rewatching it, uh, reading the books? How do you feel about the distance in age between Knives and um, Scott? Uh, it's it's uh, and does that make Scott a user? Um, in the book, Kim asks him pretty much like, "Are you being?" A oh user? no! In the book, he he is actually a heartbreaker in the book. It's yeah. it it is shown and it's only shown in subtle uh, conversations with Julie. Where she's in like, that film? time you broke up with Kim, that time yeah. with this, that time with uh, whatever her name was. He's like, that wasn't what it looks like. Holly. <laughs> Holly, yeah. It, in the in the comics, he really is a, a, a Ramona. And they make it known that um when Ramona was talking about herself, and I think it was book two, and Wallace and Knives were overhearing it. Yes, because they were, he, no, it was uh, Scott and, um what's his face? Lucas Lee were talking about Ramona. Uh, Lucas yes. Lee was telling Ramona was telling Scott Ramona's a bad person. Ramona cheated on me. I think. Yeah, she like cheated that. on me. She's just this. She's a, a heartbreaker. And then Knives looks at uh, not Knives. Sorry, Kim looks at Wallace and says, "Does that remind you of anybody?" Yeah. And Wallace is like, "They might be a match made in heaven," because it's true. But uh, as far as that relationship goes, in the now in the Me Too movement, it, it would be seen as problematic <laughs> for. Movement. I mean, there wasn't really ever a a um an age. Yeah. Said. So I think they were very smart with not saying an age because... Oh, no, no. They say... Well, I don't know. Wait, was she 17? Seven, yeah, she's 17. Yeah. It said, oh, no. It said 17. All right. Yeah, it says 17. Then you in, just have to look up the age of consent in, in Canada. In the, in, the, in the comics, someone says that she's younger. He, like, puts his foot down. He's like, no, she's 17. Um, I wasn't really creeped out by... But we knew these people, don't we? Like, we knew people growing up who, like, dated 
younger oh, than than their age and stuff like my that. My sister dated guys that were in in their twenties when she was a when she was seventeen, eighteen. So right. it's like so it, it's not like it's unrealistic. It's, it's definitely not unrealistic, but in the same sense, very. It's kind of creepy much... to see a twenty-three, or because in the comics he's twenty-three, in the in the movie he was twenty-two, I think. Yeah. But does does the fact that he's in his mid twenties, yeah. dating a, a schoolgirl, and that's what Kim gives him crap for, right? When we start the film starts, he's like, "Aren't you? Haven't you been out of high school for like, you know? like twelve years?" Yeah. Um, and he has to keep like putting his foot down with that. I I felt like um, just as realistic as the situation is. It's the same um, situation where he kind of in in her eyes he he's everything he's he's out of school he has a cool rock band you know he gets to hang with his friends all day and it's very much um, the idealistic adult life if you're in school well that's what's weird about the the graphic novel compared the graphic novel knives compared to the movie knives is she's actually more assertive in yeah. the comics where even her and uh, Ramona fight. In yeah, the library, point, yeah. she was the one that said he cheated on both of us. Yes, in the movie he had to be the one to admit it, but in the and comic, <laughs> in the comic, she was the she was the one that said he actually cheated on both of us, and that's when uh, they were sleep. They were, they were already living together by volume four, and she yeah. wakes him up in the middle of the night, and he's like groggy. He's like, "Did you cheat on me with knives?" He's like, "No, I cheated on knives with you." Yeah, she's like, "Is there a difference?" He's like, "You weren't wronged." Yeah. Just which is Scott Pro like that's Scott Pro. That was his logic. That was his logic. Yeah, that was his logic. I didn't cheat on you with her. I cheated on her with you. So I didn't wrong you. Yeah, but it's still you wronged somebody. So I also think it's important to note that in the beginning of this film, we don't know how far into the relationship that they've been on, but he seems to be fine. I think he it was a brand be, new. Might he, have been new the way he, he was introducing to his friends. Yeah, he seems to be digging it. He seems to be fine with it. Uh, he's happy. At one point, he, they say that he looks pleased as punch, and he seems very... I don't know what you're talking about. He seems very uh, happy. How do you feel about um, Knives uh, herself as a character and as portrayed by Ellen Wong in her first theatrical uh, debut? I liked her portrayal of Knives because it was more realistic towards a, a young teenage girl who's never dated a guy before. She says, I've never even kissed a guy before. I've never yeah. dated a guy, so... To see her like how she acts crazy, stalking him at the at his at the house at the window, dyeing her hair. But you know what's weird though? I feel like that's the kind of I feel like that's the kind of behavior that if you're into her, you dig. I only feel like it. They I feel like the movie goes out of its way to portray it as almost stalkerish and annoying because he's not into her. Yeah, because that, if Ramona was doing all that stuff. He'd be like, "Oh my god, look, she just showed up at the door. Oh my god, the girl of my dreams is right outside this." a phone booth or whatever but because this is someone that he's trying to avoid and he doesn't really understand how what his feelings are towards her yet it seems like she's always there why is she always this is the same guy who at one point sits outside his door literally waiting for the girl of his dreams to, <laughs> to be on the other side you oh know? yeah yeah and when he thinks that somebody is on the other side it's knives and knives is here knives and got that's there that's what i love about that scene where you see in the beginning of their hanging out that you see the introduction of their relationship. She's talking about her days in school, and he's just like, "Well, yeah, that's cool, you know. Yeah, that's fun. This and this and that." And then by the second time they're dating, he's over after already the whole met thing. Knives, after he met uh, Ramona, yeah. he's over it. He's, he's like, over "Yeah." The whole thing. And there's there's definitive um, points in conversation that show the glaring differences in age, and like you have to think that that happens all the time. The only way to really uh, bridge that gap is to rush the development of the younger uh, person of the relationship so until you can see the age to, gap where you. she's all like a degrassi high gossipy and well when they they go to the school 
And then Scott's like, oh, I don't want to be here. And it's like, well, bro, if this is your girl, you know what I'm saying? This is your boo. No, no, it was, a, it was Wallace that didn't want to be there. It was Wallace that didn't yeah, want to be there? Yeah, Wallace was oh, one okay. that was very adamant. I thought adamant. Scott was the one that was like, no, I Scott don't, don't want to. No, no, Scott think I want it. No, Scott took um, Wallace with him just for the walk. And then once he meets up with night, he's like, all right, you can go now, Wallace. Goodbye. Yeah, and so he was, uh, he... Like, I, I'm just thinking, like, if this is your girl, if this is your boo, this is your, your you know, the love of your life, but wear it with pride. Like, this is your girl and stuff. But um, when Knives, when she, uh, Scott tells Knives, this is my roommate, he's gay, and she's like, oh, do you want to know the other gay guys in my school? Like, yeah, that's a random glasses? young thing that young people would say. No, that is something you know, that's like, like my like sister random, would say that. Like a random, like, oh, you're gay? I know one gay person. Would you like to meet him? Like, that's, yeah, that's... there's no relation. When you grow older, you realize that that's not something you would say with any kind of group, any kind of demographic. You understand? Like, oh, this is my... Ch-. And they play around a lot with that, the whole idea that Nice is Chinese. And it, sometimes on un- well, every time levels, In the like, comics, every time they introduced Wallace, he would always introduce him as, this is Wallace, my cool gay roommate. Yeah. yeah. That was always his. It was Wallace, the cool gay roommate. Yeah. And um, at one point, he says something like... Uh, like you, you already gated up enough for me, and like I didn't have to do anything. You just ruined this whole situation. Oh, I can't believe you're worried about me gang up the place. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that. Let's get into Wallace a little bit. Wallace, uh, my favorite character, my the, favorite side character of this whole movie. The um, the voice of reason, the voice of truth, uh, the scandalous Wallace Wells, played by Karen Culkin of Macaulay Culkin family? of the Macaulay Culkin family. Ah, okay, and uh, yeah, he's Scott's gay roommate, and um. He is always the one kind of breaking it down to Scott. Now, their roommate situation is terrible. Scott owns nothing. They have one bed. It's a mattress they on the floor, They have no light. It's a they have no natural floor, light. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no natural light. I think it's a futon on the floor. And that's something that was both in the uh, comic and in the Yeah, where even that film. whole uh, scene where, where he's like, uh, oh, does that mean you're going to move out now? It's like, do you see another bed? Does that mean we have to stop sleeping together? Do you see another bed in here? Yeah, nope, you're totally my bitch forever, forever. And they start cataloging what's, who that belong, what belongs to That was shot from the comic, and I love it. Definitely. All those little details. And one little fun fact I love since we're already in, in the beginning. Did you know that the the whole uh, floor stretching for the opening song, Launchpad McQuack, yeah. that was suggested by Tarantino? Ah. That was a Tarant- that was a Tarantino idea where he that said that opening should- is is amazing. It's really 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 one great. of the best really, openings really because every time a new actor is introduced, they have their own animation design, and all those animation designs were hand drawn, and you can see the the the, the hand drawn like they're not clean cuts like a computer or a digital artist or like you're just taking um clip art and you know putting them places. This is this little hand drawn animation, uh, which. Not only speaks to the attention of detail, but also the craftsmanship. And this film is well crafted. It's 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 crafted in a way that uh, warrants multiple viewings. And when you watch it multiple times, you'll find different things. But also, it doesn't bombard you. Oh, I don't I, feel like it bombards yeah, you. You were one hundred percent right because uh, when I went to rewatch this movie, one thing that I didn't notice until finally rewatching it again, every X uses uses a number. Yeah, like uh, when when uh, Matthew Patel points to Scott Pilgrim. At the chaos theater, he points with one hand. Mm-hmm. When Lucas Lee point, when Lucas Lee arm. points at Scott Pilgrim, he's like, "I'm talking to you, Scott Pilgrim." He points with two. <laughs> Todd Ingram, when he was drinking the coffee, you see him holding the That's coffee terrible. with three hands. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Lucas Lee has a two tattooed on his neck. Yeah, and but yeah, like they show the act. It's very apparent that they show the number of X's and yeah. what their placement is. The, just the fact that also one big thing that no one will notice unless you really pause. 
during the scene of um Scott Pilgrim of uh, uh, Sex Bomb versus the Katianagi twins, when the Katianagi twins move their dials, they both turn their dial to five and six because they're evil X five and six, which they both. And when you uh, defeat them, you get eleven thousand coins. I was saying that might be that might be a, a nod to um, Spinal Tap. When you turn that, those amps to eleven, <laughs> you know that, that's why that's I re- originally I thought I thought hey, maybe they're doing a nod to Spinal Tap, but then I went back and I noticed that every X was had a, had their their placement number with them. Yeah, somewhere around them. So, yeah, they kept that. They kept they, that close. That's, and that is Edgar Wright's attention to detail that you will that you won't get in many act and many directors, many filmmakers won't really use that much attention to detail. Where you even see five X, uh, what was it when he when us. When he's walking like by the railroad, and Wallace, you hear Wallace's voice in the background, where he's like seven deadly X's. Oh, you yeah, see yeah. Uh, five X's. You only see five X's above him, which means five down, two to go. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's go. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Edgar Wright before getting into the rest of this cast. One here. of my favorite filmmakers. Um, oh, definitely talented. Uh, young uh, British director. Uh, most notable for the Cornello trilogy, I think that's one of his most famous works, amongst other things, especially being this screwed film. over for Ant Man. Yeah, um, but he seems to always want to tell, oh, not always want to tell. He seems exceptionally good at telling a certain kind of story, and it seems to do with not only a reluctant hero, but the idea that the uh, the mundane will be portrayed as spectacular. When you look at uh, Hot Fuzz, it's literally uh, he. This guy's a mall cop. You understand? He's basically a mall cop at, in that film. Well, that was that is perfect with Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, he he was a a video store clerk. He worked at like an electronics store. He's yep. walking through the whole city of London during a zombie apocalypse, not even noticing that the zombie apocalypse was happening because he's basically a zombie himself, just doing the same thing. That, over that and over was again. that's the social commentary that yeah. Edgar Wright puts in his films. Like we are so. Oh, sorry. Zombified <laughs> in our own life. I didn't realize you were so touched. We were so zombified in our own life that we can't even notice when an actual zombie apocalypse is happening. Yeah. Um, and I, one of the things about that mundane being traded, uh, portrayed as spectacular that he loves to do is the, like, gear up scene. He does it in all his films. Every film um, has that gear up scene. And I think it comes from, like, just 80s action films where you see like oh I got the I'm putting the bullets across my chest and I'm, just be his and I'm tying style my, like yeah. the, the jump cut style I always but the think- thing is it, it's never anything really cool it's like like in this film it's wristbands and then he take 30 oh seconds to tie God. in that was the that was one of the best edits ever because if you know Edgar Wright's style you know everything is fast paced editing so when you just get to that 30 seconds of him throwing one lace over the other <laughs> and tying time. it mad slow. And yeah. then he runs out the house in slow motion. It's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he, this is, he, Scott Pilgrim is kind of an everyman. He's a regular guy. And oh, so 100%. Th- th- this plays right into Edgar Wright's uh, wheelhouse of, of picking regular, uh, I guess not regular guys, but people that people can relate to. Everyday guys, yeah. Just yeah. like, you know. You're right because uh, Scott Pilgrim just remind—he reminds me of every guy I went to high school with. He reminds me of myself sometimes. I wasn't the nicest guy in high school sometimes. You know, yeah. you know, we're all self-absorbed. We all like to just be either right all the time or just you know be liked by everybody. And I think that's what Scott's problem was in the comic was he always tried to be liked by everybody. Yeah. Um. I um this film, like I said, when I first saw it. I related a lot to Scott. Also, I was 21 when this film came out, so I was literally primed for this whole... Oh, damn. I was like 19. Yeah, I was literally primed for this whole uh, experience. Um, And it does feel like... I mean, if you're watching it for the first time, it does feel like um, 
Scott's not at fault. Like he's he's making mistakes and he's he's fumbling, but they, as you do in life. Um, and I think that we're supposed to recognize the trajectory of growth by the end of the film when he chooses to actively make a choice and actively work on the relationship with Well, Ramon. that's why I like when um he uh, dies in uh, the first fight, but he has an extra life, and he comes back, and they does everything again, but even faster, and then he, Gideon's like, you want to fight me for her? Well, not, why? Not only, not only that, but um, by choosing to not only acknowledge, but compliment his friends, he's doing it better. He's doing it more mature. Where you even see Kim smile for the first time in this entire movie. When he says, Kim, I'm sorry the way I treated you, you're great, and all that. And that's and that's probably all she ever needed. Just acknowledgement that something Just, was done wrong and that That's that probably he's, that's one hundred percent sorry for it. Yeah, because in the comics it sh- like in the in the graphic novels it shows like Kim doesn't hate Scott. She just hates that Scott is aloof to his own shitty personality. Yeah. Like he thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And, and I, that's not the truth. He's not. That's another thing. At twenty two you're rarely apologizing for anything. Oh yeah, who who among us at 22 didn't think we were we were gods? You understand know this this you know I I have it right. Life has it wrong. Life's putting me in the wrong direction. But screw it. I'm gonna fight it upstream and I'm gonna get what I want. And um, half of that's true. Like you can still fight upstream. You can still get what you want. But life is not against you. Life is happening to everybody Life's simultaneously. Sometimes sometimes you just gotta like you know roll well, with the punches and well, compromise. It's literally happening to everyone at the same time simultaneously. So how does it have time to literally pinpoint you and make your life? Uh, you know, uh, ridiculous. Sometimes that happens because of the people around you and their lives and how they're choosing to live their lives. They're making choices. And the thing with Scott is literally everyone around him made a choice. Envy, while not making a good choice, his ex-girlfriend, she didn't make a choice. And that choice ultimately got her and her band world famous. You know, world famous. And so in the comic, there's a lot of jealousy for that. There's a lot of anger and jealousy for them, for the band breaking up and Envy getting further than than, uh, he did. And how many people can Scott blame until he finally just realizes that he needs to do something? No, about of it? course. But I do think that, um, I do think that the first time you see this, and depending on what age you are, you're seeing this, you're gonna feel it from a different perspective. Oh no! When I when I very first watched this movie, I thought I was Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I'm so, definitely Wallace this time without kissing the guys. <laughs> I mean, listen, people out there like kissing guys. That's fine. I just it's not my thing. This it's a mustache like, is like, in the way. I have to credit this movie for the fact that I learned how to play guitar. Because of this movie. Uh-huh. Like, I, I bought a guitar in December of 2010 because I needed to learn how to play all the Sex Bob-omb songs. Uh-huh. And the first song I ever learned how to play was Threshold. Which one's that one? The one that they played when they were facing off against the Karinagi twins. Okay, okay. Yeah. Where it's like, we need, we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now my favorite is that Garbage Truck song. That is everybody's I... favorite song. And... I guess because I didn't think I'd like it so much because he's talking about being a garbage man and he has a garbage truck. And I think it's about love somewhere in there. But just, they they have a level of swagger in that song. And, and it also has one of my favorite movie moments, which is... Neil thinking he's singing uh, along with the, it, yep. and he gets it wrong. Been there, I've been there. And he says like, "Oh yeah," and the like, guy oh, says, "Oh my like, oh, my no. my." He, the, I think the lyric was "my my my," and uh, Neil said, "Oh no, yeah. my." Yeah, so like I've that. been he there, messed, Neil. He messed up the lyric, and it, oh my god, it's so funny. Let's talk about music then. Let's talk about uh, the music that's in this film. Beck um, wrote all of it, and and it's, and it's a lot. A lot of it is garage bandy, you know, a lot of grunge, a lot of um, you know, alternative rock. And is it me or does the Sex by mom stuff sound like it's not well 
mastered. Like it's not like they haven't got the levels oh, no, that's, right. That's, with I think everything. that's the perfect. I think that's why it was done on purpose. It's like, like bass is way too high and everything. <laughs> Maybe it's because Scott. Yeah, you don't hear the drums at all. Yeah, it's like it, it's like a weird, and it's like a weird like distortion. You can hear like a weird distortion going on through it. Oh yeah, maybe you that's see, why... he has a foot. He has the foot pad. There's a distortion pad for that. They hits for to get the Yeti, but um, yeah. Mark Webb and uh, what was her? Why am I gonna get her name? You probably have it already here. Um, <laughs> Allison Pill, Allison Pill, and Mark Webb were supposed to mock play. Oh, okay, but they wanted to learn. Yeah, the how actual they all instru- learn the instruments. Well, uh, well, I heard Sarah is a, a bass player. The Michael Sarah learned, and I got this from the DVD commentary. Michael Sarah learned how to play guitar because of Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. Ah. He was supposed to mock it, just like Aaron Yoon, yeah. the other his other gay friend, was mocking to play the guitar. Michael Sarah's like, no, it's four chords. I can learn this. Yeah, and then he picked up guitar, and now he's a full on guitar player. So he was the only one that knew how to play an instrument. Yeah, none of these songs are like. I, I wouldn't call them like uh, complicated. I mean, songs. I mean listen to the, good. the titles: Launchpad, McQuack, gar- uh, g- Garbage Truck, uh, Threshold, Threshold, and then there was uh, the other one that they're uh, Summertime Sadness, Summertime Madness, or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. I was like Summertime Sadness. That's a lot of that, right? Well, yeah, that's uh, it's something Summertime. And uh, yeah. wait, do you? Oh, yeah, yeah, but uh, no, nah, they. I I think that um. You you almost wait for moments in in the film, especially with like a Michael Sarah film, a, a young adult film, a young romance film. These are usually ladled with studio music, like like not studio music, but like popular music. I'm sorry. Yeah, like a like a pop culture soundtrack. Like yeah, like you would hear like songs that were either nostalgic or on the radio now. Yeah, and but- I, I don't feel like you got a lot of that. Although there's an amazing by your side cover on this uh, on this. Album. No, that was that, that's what, that wasn't this. a cover. That's Beachwood Sparks. Yeah, but that's from. Um, uh, Sade sang that song first. Sade, Sade, I'm saying that wrong. No, oh, you're right. Sade. Sade, yeah. Sade. Yeah. She said that she sang that song first because that's the only version of that song. That's I heard. right. I yeah. I remember that version. That's what she's the version I found because I thought Beachwood Sparks was the original. No, yeah, she's the one I've always heard. And then when that song, it's like I know that are they playing that song? I know, but I always get Sade mixed up with Dido sometimes because they have that kind of <laughs> kind of uh, both great singers. But um, I I I love the the ability to, to ramp it up and 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 uh slow it down when they needed to and sex the sex bomb moms are a character in itself and their music is a character in itself literally at one point uh, uh personifying into a yeti and <laughs> attacking two dragons yeah that's so that was probably probably a really underrated fight scene because it wasn't really a fight it was a battle of the bands but just to see like a giant yeti come from his distortion pad they turn the dials up to 11 you see two dragons come it's pretty yeah. cool are you a, are you a Sex Bomb Mom fan? I'm a huge Sex Bomb Mom fan because I'm originally a Beck fan. Ah. I love Beck's music. My father introduced me to Beck. And so, there's a lot of Beck that sounds like garage band kind of music. Well, I think that was what Beck's, uh, that, that's who he was. He was, he was, he was a garage like, band yeah. thing. That was his uh, style. Mm-hmm. So he wrote all the songs. He wrote Ramona, Threshold, Garbage Truck. The only song he didn't write was Launchpad McQuack because that's actually in the comic where uh, when you see uh, knives going to the band practice and then they're all playing, mm. they have the whole uh, chords and lyrics where it says, "Now, hey kids, now you can play along with Sex Bomb." Yeah, which is funny because the comic book actually breaks the fourth wall a bunch of times. I think it was in the second book where mm. everybody was getting together to eat a vegan uh, shepherd's pie. Okay. And Stephen Stills literally looks oh, at the yeah, panel and says, "Hey kids, 
with the adult's help, now you can make your own vegan yeah, pie. And you see all the ingredients and everything. Yeah. How much time to put it in, what to chop up. So I like how it breaks the fourth wall for funny things like that. Yeah. Where it says, hey, kids, now you can play along with sex for bombs. Yeah. And here's the lyrics and here's the chords. And um, they, they're good. I mean, Gideon gives them a record deal. I don't know if that's. Music to his what? ear holes. Yeah. And eye holes. And he calls them sex bombs. You don't call them sex bombs. Yes, the bomb sex bombs. bombs. Yeah. Um, Knife thinks that they're good. Neil thinks that they're good. Uh, do you think that they're subjectively good in that universe? In that universe, they're really good. Okay. Yes, because if you look look at the bands that they that they faced off against. They crash in the boys. They beat they well, that cra- girl a boy too. <laughs> <laughs> crash crashes so all three of the because it was in the comics, it was three songs. Yeah. It 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 was um I'm so sad. I'm so very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Then it was, uh, this song is called We Hate You, Please Die. Yeah. And then it was Last Song Kills the Audience, where yes. they knock out the audience for like 20 minutes. Yeah. That was a deleted scene. So they were pretty bad. They were like only 30 second songs, five yeah. second songs. Mm-hmm. And when they went against another band, every battle, every band they went I mean, up I in the battle like, of bands, I they did won. like Clash. Um, oh, the Clash of Demon Head? I Demon Head, yeah. Well, if you like that, just listen to, um, oh, what's the name of the band? I'm going to lose, uh, uh, Metro uh, meet something. I'm gonna have to look it up for you. I'm gonna like look it up for you guys and let you know because it was actually a real song from yeah. an actual band in Canada. They, they were just based off of it. Well, yeah, I heard majority of um the songs here were performed by bands in Canada, by like garage bands in Canada and stuff. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, and what's crazy is all the voices. Every time there's a voiceover in the movie, yeah, you know who that is. Bill oh, Hader. I heard that was Bill Hader. Yeah, Bill I didn't catch H- it off the off no, the rip. I originally yeah. thought it was just the beginning where Scott Pilgrim is dating a high school. No, every time you hear a voice, Scott earns the power of love, and then is it was he the time. KO guy? The what? Is he the KO guy? Yes, KO. he's KO too. And any voiceover that's all Bill Hader's voice. Oh, I don't think he awesome. was credited, and that's the problem. Huh? I don't think he was credited because I don't ever. I don't think I remember seeing him, or maybe I it, it would say Bill Hader various voices yeah. in the credits. But yeah, yeah anytime there was a voiceover, that was him. And always the every time they played a song, whether it was um, you know just background music or a song on screen, the editing with it was always top notch. It was always going along with the song. But oh, also I love it because it had the pows and the punches, just like in comics. It was a yeah. comic book but like, movie. For, specifically, I'm thinking of that Clash of the Demon Head performance where um, she's performing and they're constantly going between like Todd and her. And Ramona and then Scott. Oh, yeah. And, and the then, way they edit it, you see where and, Ramona and Todd are on the same screen. Envy and Scott are on the same right, screen. Exactly. And then she's also saying, like, I used to know you. You used to be a friend. Like, they, they, it's all playing into it. Like, um, and it's funny because Edgar Wright had originally con- uh, conceived this as, like, a musical. Yeah, it was, supposed to, it was supposed to be a musical. But instead of uh, breaking out into song and dance, it was supposed to break out into fight. Yeah. Which I have, like. You have a little bit of, like, like Bollywood stuff early with... Uh, uh, Matt Patel is it Matthew? Yeah, it's Matthew Patel. Uh, Sat Sadia. I don't. I don't want to pronounce his name. Sadia know- Bob. I don't want to butcher it and feel so like I'm a racist or something because I can't <laughs> yeah, pronounce yeah. the name. Well, let's let's get into the let's get into the sex bomb um, uh, members real quick. I, like I said, Allison Pill plays Kim Pine, and that's a, one of Scott's exes from high school. High school? Yep. Yeah, one of Scott's Pun- exes from high school. Kicked this guy so hard he saw the curvature of the earth. Yes, he um also she's also kind of giving him grief almost always throughout this film. And is it that chip on the shoulder from him not never acknowledging what he did? Well, what? he basically didn't break up with her the right way. Like he strung her. He knew he was moving for like three months, yeah. and then he waited until moving day to say, "Hey, uh, we got to break up. I'm moving." Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, we also have Mark Webber as Stephen Stills, aka the talent. He's the lead singer. 
Yes, he is the talent. Yeah, he is the talent. And that's basically the band. It's it's Kim, Steven, and uh, Scott. But you also got Johnny Simmons as young Neil Nordgraf. Nordgraf or something and she's, like that. And uh, he's not only Sex Bomb Mom's biggest fan, but he also is the substitute bassist for the band when Scott uh, is not around. And ultimately, when they sign their deal, it, it's Neil who signs as part of the band uh, under Gideon's record label. Real quick, the band that I was thinking of was Metric. Metric, okay. And the song is Black Sheep. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a real song by that band that was just covered. And it's funny because Clash at Demon Head is a video game. Yeah, Nintendo video game as well. Yep. Like we were saying, there's constant Nintendo references. Oh, no, there's so uh, many video games. This movie is like a video game, comic book, love child. It's just like everything. Yeah. I love uh, the whole hyperspace, that the, 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 the Canadians don't have hyperspace there. So Ramona's just... What was it? The hyperspace, I think in the, the way explained in the comics was uh, there was this really convenient highway in your head that's like 300 oh, yeah. miles in like 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which subtly says there's nothing in his head. Yeah. His, his head is so empty that she, she could, could literally right just through. skate right through his head. And yeah. that's why he ended up thinking that's the girl of his dreams. Yeah. Um, with Wallace, Wallace is constantly narking on Scott's stuff with Stacy Pogram, played by Anna Kendrick. Fun fact, the the Stacy name tag that she has is mm-hmm. actually Edgar Wright's uh Brian Leo Mal- I think it was Edgar Wright's or Brian Leo I think it's Brian Leo Malley. It was his her sister that was her sister's name tag from work. Yeah, Brian I think it was Brian Leo Malley. Probably was Brian Leo Malley. But to tie it back to Edgar Wright, Anna Kendrick dated Edgar Wright for quite some time. So crazy in my Brian head. Like, wow. And Edgar Wright's one of the ones that had um suggested her for Squirrel Girl. So you are know. they gonna do a Squirrel Girl? Squirrel I don't girl? know if they're gonna do oh, a Squirrel Girl. Th- but I watch anything with Anna Kendrick, and I'm a fan. Oh, of Anna uh, have you seen Mr. Right? Her I've and heard of this. You have I've to heard watch, of this. dude. It is one of the yes. best Sam Rockwell Anna Kendrick I've movies heard ever. Of this. Yeah. He plays this assassin that wants to be out. He just wants to be a normal life, and he yeah. meets Anna Kendrick, and he falls in love. Yeah, it's one of the best comedies I've seen. It's awesome. so great. I saw Up in the Air. I think it's her and <laughs> another Clooney. great movie. Yeah, her and George Clooney. Yeah. Which fun fact about that? This is all going to tie in together because six degrees of separation. Everything is together. Yeah. Well, look right there. She was in a movie with Batman. She was in, mov- in a movie with uh, Justin Hammer. <laughs> and um. <laughs> the director of Up in the Air, Jason Reitman, is good friends with Edgar Wright, and he was one of the few people that saw the rough cut. It was Jason Reitman, uh, Kevin Smith, and Quentin Tarantino that Quentin all saw Tarantino. a rough cut of the movie. Yeah. So, like, everything is just the six degrees of separation is a real scientific thing because we really are only one to six degrees separated from everything in this from world. Every single thing. Isn't that crazy, though? Like she was in a movie with with a director that had that needed cons- consultation with another director and dated this director. It's like this is just crazy. Where you even have Captain America's in this movie. Yes, Superman is. is in this movie. Yes, he is. Captain Marvel's in this movie. Yep. And from Legion itself, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza plays Julie Powers. Stephen Stills. Yep. Ex- I forgot she was in Legion. Yes. Uh, Stephen Stills ex girlfriend. Is she? Is she the ex? She's she, she's an the ex. ex in the book. And in what well, in the comic it was uh, in the movie he wanted to like get back with her just in that like one scene but okay, yeah. it was in the comics it wasn't it it was like they were they were like always on and off there wasn't like she was adamant about not dating him yeah she's um her character is basically a hanger on right like she's just like a big groupie for like envy oh, and stuff yeah <laughs> like that's all that she really is in and what's film. crazy in the third book Infinite Sadness uh when Jewel and when uh, envy interrupts her when yeah. she's like I'm talking to Ramona there's a little panel where it says Julie needs to be in the conversation at all times or something like that. Oh, okay. So she just needs There's to... There's so many like things I thought they could have brought it in. Like when uh, Todd doesn't know well, the word... Well, literally six volumes. Like, I know. We're just talking about it. It's hard. It's just those little details that they they picked. I felt that they picked and chose a lot of the details that they wanted to put in. Like when she's like, 
you are incorrigible. And Todd's like, I don't know the meaning of the word. And, and it says he really shows doesn't. Up, it That's does, really there. Really so yeah. Yeah. when um he tells young Neil, for this moment on, you would be called Neil. In the comics, there's a panel that said this was the greatest moment in Neil's life. Yeah. I would love to see. To you hear, hear like Bill a Hayes. sound effect. You hear like a level up sound effect. Yeah, that was that. Which is uh, Edgar Wright is the man. It's yeah. So and that's another thing. Uh, because they couldn't do everything, they did find ways to shortcut some stuff. But they kept the meaning and they kept the importance of it. I felt. Oh like no, the 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 heart, the tone, everything made sense. When you're reading these books, you expect their relationship to be over the course of a year because you're reading this book once for six years. Yeah, you're following the story for six years. You're following one book a year, so it makes sense that by the fourth book, uh, Scott and Ramona are actually moving in together. Um, Steven, uh, the Sex Bombs has their first album, and this is over. Is the six is the six books over one year? It was yeah, it was over the course of one year because I okay. think it was in the fourth or fifth book. It was like it was really birthday? subtle where it's like, haven't you and Ramona been dating a year now? Yeah, but in the book he has terrible memory. At one point he can't even remember like his his. That's uh, that's his, for a reason. His high uh, Gideon stuff. Graves messed with his memory in the uh, in the comic. That's what it was in the comic. You know okay. where uh where in the third one where he fights the whole horde of schools for Kim. Yeah, that was a made up memory. Wow. Yeah. Huh. A lot of uh, there's a lot of things that like in the movie it's like Scott's backstory in the comics you find out Gideon put that in his head. But that almost made me. I enjoyed the film much more on the second viewing, also with the background knowledge that I had from the comics. I am I, but I also saw this with somebody who had never seen it and they enjoyed it too. Do is it just levels of enjoyment? Like you will always enjoy this film. I feel there is levels of enjoyment. Like you can if you're a regular moviegoer. There's no way this movie's not going to be entertaining. If you're a film fanatic, there's no way that this movie is not going to be seen as a masterpiece. If you're a comic book fan, there's no way that this movie is not going to be seen as one of the most accurate movies you've ever seen. There's who you are doesn't depend on if you're going to enjoy this movie. I think this movie is just going to be enjoyed by everybody. And though it was a box office bomb, it's still critically one of Edgar Wright's best movies. Yeah, let's talk about that. That budget was 85 to 90 million and it made 47 million. God. Oh my! That is it did not make that's a flop. Budget back, and that, that's that's huge because that's a flop. Breaking even is not really a win, but they but people see that as a win in comparison to not breaking even. So nah, I never see breaking even into a win because just because this budget was 90, 90 million doesn't mean their marketing their marketing money wasn't in the budget. Like you yeah. have to. Yeah, pay for TV spots. Sometimes that's an additional. Yeah, that's an additional. Yeah, cost so when you break even, you're own you still have to have to. Pick, uh, make back what you have to pay these actors yeah. what you have to pay the crew Yeah, breaking even is just nothing and we spoke a little bit off air but yeah it turns out that if you add up like the totals of all Edgar Wright's films they barely breach 200 million that is sad to, to think that nobody actually went to theaters more than once to see James James Wan has a 1 billion dollar film under his belt <laughs> Oh, it, oh my God! It's true, bro. I know, I know, it's but true, bro. One billion dollars. I mean, James Wan, yeah, kill it, Mister Wan. Hey, Justin Lin has three one billion dollar movies because he directed all the last three Fast and the Furiouses there from like go. six to eight. He directed them, so he has like three one billion dollar movies. Yeah, and but Edgar I, Wright can't even crack two. I guess there's definitely a, an audience for for that kind of stuff too. And that's what it's. What I find weird is when things become cult followings. I think that's more disrespectful than if you just like. How is it you wait ten years for a movie to be considered? Wow, this is actually I, a masterpiece. I can, I can see that. I can, but I no, see I both sides of it. I see I, both sides. I understand of it, though, why you know? it's like that. Like, uh, what? I, some comic book movie I think I went back and watched. Where growing up, I loved. Growing now, watching Spawn, Blade. Yeah, yeah. I like growing up. I thought they were, that they were great. 
now they're bad. Certain movies that I thought were bad, like Ghost Rider, I have an appreciation for because it's like, it's Nicolas Cage. So, but well, I digress. The, the point is, like, it's a, but it's also the same thing like with this, right? I would love to think that the person who's listening to this episode right now has followed us on the journey from the beginning or or somewhere down the line. But somebody's going to be hearing this for the first time. Somebody's going to be hearing my first episode for the first time and being like, wow, this is really something I want to listen to. No, and at, at that point, any viewer that listens to these episodes go leave with either having a new sense of appreciation, having a new sense of hatred, or watching it for the first and time. And it's the same thing with Edgar Wright. And it's the same thing with these movies. And like you said with Michael Sarah, where you meet the... If you've never seen some of these actors before, if you've never seen this director's uh, flair for style... You're, I mean, this is the crash course right here. And from here, you get to make an informed opinion about yeah, wh- whether or not, not you like Edgar, this kind of if stuff. If you're not an Edgar Wright fan, this movie will seem excessive. Because they, 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 it's just like it has like the level up. You see a piss yeah, bar. I've heard that too. I just feel like anyone – I feel like our generation and down get will, will get this in a way that other generations won't. Because a lot of us were not, not you know – um, ignored, but kind of raised on video games. Like, true. Si- sitting in front of the, like, waking up, turning the games on. And we're 90s babies. We're 90s like kids. So we have a different sense of movies. We, like, we grew up with a nonstop action or horror. Like, every yeah. year was a new action movie. Every year was a new horror movie, a disaster film, some sort of biopic, you know, like. Every, and you know, that's we, a lot of when the, when the uh, magic starts to leave your eyes in the 90s. And that's why these guys are so, you know, unaffected by everything. And, and I don't think this is, movie would have worked in, in any other decade. Like you need computer generate, you need the computer animation, you needed the editing, everything just worked. It is for this a film. it's it is a soft spot because it's also not the it's not the blow up of social media, like you know what I'm saying. Like I feel like that would have changed this film in a different way. Oh, if had, like this um, movie came out now. Yeah, you would have to have something about social media somewhere in it because there's no part of this world that's it's not. It's sad covered as you don't even it. see memes about this movie. Like you see memes no. of they they get movies back from the 1960s and they make memes out of it and not well, one they, Scott Pilgrim meme. I also feel like this film is very personal to people. You understand like you just, like you said like you said yourself. This is a, this be- is a personal film to me. Yes. And be- and because people have that personal feeling towards it maybe that that's why it doesn't have the big uh blockbuster everyone will get this joke kind of vibe but the ones who do get the joke will really get the joke and really appreciate the joke the same way the ones that do get this movie will really appreciate this movie and get this movie. And then, um, you know, movies are subjective. You can feel however you want to feel yeah, about no, them. But I, I You dig, love what I you love. This. You hate what you hate. No one can tell you how you feel about whatever you watch or listen to or see. It's just yeah. sometimes it, 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 it's easier if everybody just loved the same thing. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. We, might, we probably would have got a part two for this. Uh, and a whole other series of books. But... We've uh, we beat around the flowers as much as we could. Uh, it's time to get to the main event, the the probably the biggest character that moves the plot along in this film, and that is Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers, which is a perfect casting. Per- besides the fact that she has the look, the f- besides the fact that she has the she fills the tone of who Ramona Flowers is. Mm-hmm. She was in a lo- she's in a lot of obscure movies that no one really remembers. She was in Final Destination Three. She was in Sky High. Was she like in Death Proof or something like that? One she was in Death Proof. Yes, one she was. Okay, she was one of the girls in Death Proof. I'm there's, there's the Tarantino tie in again. So. so everything is everything's connected. Everything's connected. Uh, how do you feel about Ramona in this film? How do you feel about Ramona in the book? And how did you feel about um? Miss Winstead's ability to portray that those qualities. I think the first time I ever read and watched, well, the first time I ever read this book, 
I read it under what Brian Lee O'Malley said that he based this character Ramona off of an ex that broke his heart in high school. Okay. So when I first went into reading this, I went into reading thinking she's a bad person. Okay. Come to find out, she's not a bad person at all. I I think she's truly misunderstood. Where she even says it herself, you know, I've dabbled on being a bitch. Part of the reason why I moved out. She's one of the only few characters that accepts her flaws. And she's been accepting her flaws since the beginning. I, I agree that she accepts her flaws. I think Ramona's issue in this film and in the book is that she thinks that if you run away from problems, they will just go away. And the film is ultimately a combination of all her problems proving that they're not going anywhere. Oh, yeah. And like, if Scott doesn't put his foot down, they you know. And ultimately, she had to put her foot down against Gideon or else that problem would have continued. It would have been. And that's why, the, that's why volume six is probably one of she, one of the best she at every point in this film she's trying to run away at various points she's like let's just split up and then at one point she's like let's just break up and then you know at another point well, it shows in like, the comics that she's never truly got away Gideon always has a, a handle on her yeah like uh in i think it was in the third the second book or the third book she finds a cat on the street and adopts the cat oh yeah he calls him Gideon <laughs> turns out that was a, that cat was planted by Gideon my gosh. That whole little chip in the back of her neck, it was different. Uh, it was actually, he was al- always in her head. Yeah. It wasn't that he had a, a way of getting into her head. He was always, like, sitting in this throne yeah. with, like, this big-ass sword yeah, sitting yeah. in her head. And, like, uh, in the, the sixth book was this uh, final battle yeah. between every year of Ramona, every version of Ramona yeah. versus Gideon. Oh, okay. Which is dope. You have, like, 15-year-old Ramona, 20-year-old Ramona. You have Ramona with the red hair, Ramona with blue hair. Yeah, ultimately, that kind of should have been her fight, right? Like It should have been her fight. Uh, and that's why I like what well, I like that they did the knives versus Ramona on the side of Gideon versus Scott. Oh, that scene is is filmed very very well. I really really like just that whole the, everything in the chaos uh, theater. I think he did his own choreo- very, very choreography, well. Sarah. Uh, Sarah. Because I was watching a lot of the um on the DVD they have the, a lot of the scenes that they have they'll have it without the animation yet. Yeah. So instead of you seeing this big flaming sword he's just holding like a small a little stick he's okay. holding like a handle of a sword and you actually see him doing the motions of swinging like he oh, learned all yeah. of, like the the stuff that went into filming this movie these actors really did a great job and ramona is no exception i think she was perfect in this movie she really does push the plot forward yes yeah, i mean it's you think it's scott's story yeah because he's trying to find love he's trying to uh, conquer exes to get his love but really it's about who ramona is and you and see that more in the comics. Come to, yeah, her having to come to grips with that. Uh, when I first read this book, when I first saw the movie, Ramona did seem like that tropey, mysterious. What you would really call hot. the daydream pixie girl. That's yeah. that's the yeah. the term for it. Like a uh, five hundred days of summer with manic. Uh, yeah, manic I think it was manic pixie girl. Yeah, manic pixie girl. Manic. the idea the idea of manic being like unpredictable. Living by the seat of her, uh, seat of her pants. And I think or, Pixie you know, Girl is just the the the, the way their style magical was. and all that kind of you know, like 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 just yeah. So I think the first time I I saw this film, that's how I felt. The second time I saw this film, um, I was a little bit like, there's a lot of signs and the things that she's saying to you and the things and the way that she's acting that tells you she wants nothing to do with any of this. Yeah, uh, and it and it's she all right rejects there. him like three times and he kept asking her out. Yeah. Say hey, do you want to go out with me? No. And then the first date that they go on. He doesn't plan anything. They don't do anything. They he even shows walk. up late because he thinks she wasn't going to show up. They just walk down the street and then they get stuck in a snowstorm, which brings them back to her house. And then everything with the tea and the, yeah, I'm not going to have sex with you right now, Scott. Stuff. And that's a choice that she makes, you know? He was all in for it. He was in, in for all that stuff. And he was with, cha- he was with knives. one of the funniest jokes, probably my favorite joke of the, move, the movie was uh, 
can this not be a one night stand? For one oh, thing, yeah. I didn't even get any. Yeah, yeah, and that's straight from the comic. <laughs> yeah, straight from the comic. The same way, uh, um, like uh, the, all the teas when she's rattling off all those. Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead was supposed uh, was asked if she wanted to have a uh, picture of of all the words like in the yeah a script in the closet, and she said, "No, I want to memorize them." What she went and little... memorized all of that. They were gonna have it right there where she opens it and she's reading it. Nope, she memorized that all in her head. Yeah. And huh. it's crazy because it was like 15 T's. It was like Jensen, Jensen with Honey, Sleepy Time, a Constant yeah. Comet, she, Liver um, Disaster. In the comic, I feel like she, because we spend more time with her gradually, um, we see that she is actively trying to like help Scott grow. Like y- your hair is kind of this and your apartment is kind of this. And you should get a job. You should do this, that. Yeah. And where, he, where he even gets a job to impress her. Yeah. Whereas Knives is kind of just okay with the way he is and there's something well, to that's that what I love too, about right? knives. she copies all of his ex's styles yeah and it was it was very it's shown in the comic where he's like knives started cutting her hair and wearing skirts yeah oh and then you see she dyes her hair and cuts it just like ramona like yeah because she thinks that's what what scott wants i think i would have dug the red instead of the blue but i get why they did it because that's they met her in the blue yeah, and uh, it was funny. She, in the, the comics, comic, she does it right. She dyes her hair. Right. I think it was either the comic or the, or the movie. I can't remember what I what where I read it, but uh, the her purse, the star, yeah, yeah. changes color. Ah. every time she changes her hair. Okay. So yeah. like when she goes blue halfway through the movie, it's a blue bag. When you first meet her, it's a red bag. It has like a red star. What do you think it is about Ramona that Scott likes? I, I think because I mean, she's attractive. I think he's uh, using the colloquial of "girl of my dreams." Okay. Too literal. Okay. Like just because, just because you think uh, causality. Uh, I I went to sleep and this girl was in my dream and now she's actually. And I, real. I've actually seen her. So it she must, must be, be it must the be girl of my dreams. Or... Yeah. Okay. So that's what is pulling him towards her. Is like this is the girl of my dreams. I've never dreamed of a girl. When really the the reason is because she has superpowers. Whatever. Yeah. Like a subspace. So he almost highway. downplays his entire life to her. Like in the same way that he would confidently tell knives. I'm in a band. Yeah, we're, we kind of rock. When That's he what I love. To, when he gets to Ramona, he's like, yeah, we're kind of in a band. We suck. But can, please you, come. Can, you, can you please come? Where do you think that's from? Wait, wait, what? I think he knows that he... I think my personal perspective, he knows he's better than Knives. He's older. He has, He's not in school. He, Like you said, he has a band. He hangs out with his friends all day. He does whatever he wants. When it comes to Ramona, he sees this like he untangible her. being that he needs to get close to. She has... But then what, what's up with the cognitive dissonance of knowing that, but then not seeing that same behavior in Knives? Because he's, right? Cause cause he's knives, selfish. It's he's who we doing, are. That's why it's realistic. He's doing... Yeah, it's true. He's doing to Ramona what Knives is doing to him. It's like, I, oh, what do I have to do to, to be, impress the, you. to be the kind of person that you want to be with? And um, it's sadder with Knives because she's younger. So you know, like, and she's, she's going to grow and, up. She's going to change. She's not going to be with the same guy forever. And they're not telling her the truth. Um, like that whole scene where she does dye her hair, I think it, it is sort of kind of emotional. Like it's not like sad, or it's not like I would. But when you look at it, when you realize the the depths and the lengths that we well, go to to change ourselves, specifically to be, women you know, have dyed their hair or cut their hair after either a breakup or a mental mi- meltdown. Like yeah. I have female friends that say all the time, like I had a mental breakdown and I cut my hair and dyed it. So yeah. it's like. You see the realism behind Knives being a 17-year-old girl that will do anything to impress this guy that she thinks she loves. Yeah. Because it's one thing to uh, change your appearance and stuff like that because of trauma to, to start a new chapter. But to change your appearance because you think that somebody else might like it more or might like you more um, shows a lack of faith in your ability 
just to be as to good be yourself. Good, yeah, just to be that enough. You're good enough to be enough. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was the thing is he, she was, she she wasn't enough for him. Ramona wasn't enough for him, and I I I liked that knives. Well, I'm trying to. How do I put this? <laughs> I like in the comics that yeah. knives. Like I said, knives was more assertive. She was more of a badass in the comics. Like she she would do anything. Yeah, where she was even fighting like three times has mm-hmm. a bunch of fights. I love that. I think they should have done. I think they did a good job with the pacing, where you see knives was slowly declining into stalkerish crazy. Where over you follow them in the course of a year, you see her actually growing up. Yeah, you know, I read when I was reading the comic because you know ultimately because of everything with Ramona and because of my man Wallace, Scott has to break up with her. Scott is put in a position where he has to break up with her, and um, <laughs> both watching the film. And reading the book, I audibly gasped when he says, shouldn't you just be dating somebody in your own race or something like that? Yo. And I was like, what? Well, he said that in the movie too. He's like, aren't you not allowed yeah. to date outside your well, race? Is, I forgot. I hadn't seen the movie in years. So when I read it in the book, I was like, that's kind of harsh, but maybe this is still early in PC culture. So it is what it is. Well, yeah, the first book came out, what, like 2002 or something like that? Yeah, like 2004, I want to say. And so it's like, okay, you know, it is what it is. But then they adapted the same thing and it's not played like it's like it's something a jerk would say. It's almost played. Like she even goes like, no, it doesn't matter. I'm in love or whatever. It's like, yeah, but aren't I like too old for you and all that? Yeah, but when he says like the whole, like, shouldn't you be dating? Like I've heard of all all kinds of reasons to break up with somebody or all kinds of like <laughs> bad excuses and stuff. But to like sit a girl down and be like, I've, I've literally thought about this. You should probably be dating somebody of your own race. <laughs> like what? What is man? What I don't. And it's funny because Brian Lee O'Malley is like Chinese Canadian. Does it get so. cold? But does it get colder than that? Like I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. And um, oh man, book four, Scott Program gets it together, man. It's there's some. They, you introduce Knives' father. I heard Knives' father. Get, Knives' father gets into some of the action. Yeah, Knives. I think the fight was Knives' father and Scott fight Roxy for the first time. Okay. And then the second time it was a fight between it was Roxy and Ramona or I think it was no it was Scott and Roxy fighting in Ramona's bag because her purse is a subspace high, yeah. highway. So so that's why she could pull out the hammer outside of her purse. Also, if they weren't going to go into depth with the subspace highway, why even mention it? I don't know. It was just I guess like it was you, I don't I guess like it doesn't matter. I think that's it. the point is it doesn't matter. But I get but I get that they asked for an explanation. He, she gave the explanation that she gives in the comics. So I guess that makes it's sense. It's like, yeah, you have this really convenient highway in your head that's like 300 miles in 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but yeah, um, then you have that, like like I said, it's a heartbreaking breakup scene where they show how, how divided they are, how alone and isolated they are. And then you have this weird, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be feeling scene where Oh, with a T-Rex playing that song, Teenage Dream. Where he's there and he's upset over making knives upset and he's upset that he broke her heart but then he thinks for a second about ramona and he just starts to smile again and it's all like well and that this is also portrayed when he's with the guys when he's when he's with the band and they're like oh is knives coming he's like no but you might meet my new girlfriend soon by the way i learned this baseline from final Fantasy. like he just it ne- on to the next thing on to the next subject on to the next like don't question me about what just happened there i love how kim calls him the salt of the earth by accident yeah and he's like, what? That's a, that's a compliment yeah. to be called the salt of the earth. And he says, what? And she's like, scum. He's like, oh, thanks. He still thinks, <laughs> thanks. That, it's, it's, he still thinks that it's salt. Um, but we that's uh, we get introduced to the idea that to 
Um, if Scott does really think that this is the girl of his dreams, and if he really wants to be with her, he needs to get through her seven evil exes. And break out the L word. When Lesbians. you, when you, when you uh, saw this in the trailers, when you saw you know the promotional material for it, what did you think about that aspect of the story? The Scott versus the seven evil exes. Scott versus the uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That idea of him having to have an upward battle to get this romantic. Problem um, was, was the, the trailer was so well edited that I had to watch it a couple of times to find out. Wait, what is this movie about? Yeah, because... I did also feel like that probably the reason why I hesitated to watch this movie in the first place was because I didn't really get what it was about. What what sold me is like there's this the the song that plays Invaders Must Die by the Prodigy. It it was like this uh down 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 and every time it does a bass or like the beat drops, you see him punching someone or him getting punched. It was just the the editing style behind the trailer was so fantastic. But I did have to watch it like 3 4 times to figure out what it was about. And then when I found when I realized what it's about, who hasn't been there? Who hasn't wanted to yeah, date right? the most popular girl in school, but you find out that her ex-boyfriend is prom king uh, jock that's supposed to be going to Notre Dame? Who hasn't wanted to date the hottest girl in school to find out that everybody wants her too, and now you have to like fight all of these like you know would-be romancers to get this girl? I know I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, you've probably been there. So it, I think it's, it, it's a concept I can get behind. But it also makes me wonder how sustainable that is. How What's the foundation of that? Like, I'm a firm believer of, um, like, the means that in which you go, like, the sorry, the intent in which you go into something is everything. Like, that's going to dictate how the whole experience is going to go. That's going to dictate the results, all of that stuff. If you go into something with the wrong intention, no matter what, no matter what good you try to do from it, if it came from ill-gotten or ill-thought uh, means, that it'll eventually end up that I. way. I.e., his relationship with knives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But I also thought that that was going to ultimately happen with Ramona. Like, he was going to be taught a lesson where you can't just be jumping from relationship to relationship just because you feel like the next, the grass is greener over there. Like, he was literally single, but the grass was greener with this younger chick. And everyone's saying that the younger chick is not worth it. Like, what are you doing in this situation? I'm happy here. And then he gets there, and he's not happy there. He's happy here with Ramona. It's the new toy syndrome. Like, you know, he picks up a new toy. He finds out, wait, wait a minute. There's a better toy out now. And I guess, you know, it's funny, toys, video games, all that kind of stuff, that's one of the lessons that he learns is that people are not to be played around with and that people deserve more from him. Uh, people deserve honesty. I think that's what yeah. he learned at the end of the whole movie. I think he learned honesty is the best, which I liked in um, book four, Knives finally gets over him. Okay. It doesn't take a whole, their whole series. How long does she date young Neil? Because she dates young Neil in this for a little bit, for like a day. I think, I think it was all, all of book four or maybe, ha- they were on and off in book four. Yeah. Like, she was breaking up with him whenever she was, like, getting pissed off. Like, she would just break up with him for no reason and then text him and come back. And the way Neil is portrayed in the comic, he's like a, he's, he's like, he's like, he's like her age. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's a 15-year-old kid. So what, what guy that's never been, you know, given attention by a girl is not gonna go after that girl or yeah. let her do whatever she wants. Like, he's young. That's why yeah. his name's Young Neil. But, uh, that line in the ending of the movie where, uh, he goes off with Ramona. And she's like, I'm too cool for you anyways. Yeah. That's what she, that's how she got over him in the comics. Yeah. Okay. Because her father was, it was, I think there was a whole fight with her father. Where and, it, it, and it makes you feel better. I mean, she, in, ultimately in this whole discovery, I mean, in this whole, sorry, journey as well with Scott and uh, trying to get Scott, he ultimately, she ultimately found herself too. And to tell you the truth, that's also something very relatable. I think we've all been through bad breakups. Um, 
or have all or, or or had that unrequited love where you you're sending your love out to somebody and why don't they just like me? But ultimately, you come to the the conclusion that she does. Like, I'm pretty damn awesome. I'm pretty damn awesome, and an awesome person's gonna like me eventually. So I'll let me just keep being awesome, and then eventually. Well, that's why I love that like Wallace me. said you're too good for him. Yeah. Run. How you feel about Wallace's allegiance to knives throughout the entirety of the film? Well, I wouldn't really find allegiance towards knives. He called her an angel. You know, you better, no, um, yeah, he called an angel. But, but um, when that whole scene where uh, knives shows up at Scott's door uh-huh. and he runs out and uh, he like tries to cover for Scott, you see, like he has, he's still loyal to his to his friend. And even in the book, where knives calls up uh, Wallace and she's like, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And he's like, uh, sure, but I'm not really doing anything. Why? Where, where are you at? And she's like, I'm outside your door. Oh, he yeah. opens the door and he's like, you got to go. Yeah. I'm like, damn, Wallace. I do, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like, looks at her straight up. He's like, you got to go. So I, I, I see like he's like, he feels bad because nobody deserves to be, you know, a rebound. I think that's what he knows. He knows that that the uh, knives is just a rebound for Scott. By <laughs> how do you feel about the double um was it the the, the, the double stand well standard, Wallace didn't yeah. make up the gay rule. <laughs> yeah he did not he didn't write the gay uh, rule book. Wallace did not write the gay rule book. Uh but yeah let's let's talk about some of these evil exes. Let's get into uh Matthew Patel. Um he I think the he's only the only non jock non white boy that went to school with Ramona. And he's also um like I want to say courteous, but like he sends him an email and he sends him a letter in the comic. Like he sends him like, and then he gets mad when he doesn't respond. He's he warned him twice, like, and it, it's long, like, "Hi, hello, my name is Matthew Patel." And oh, I didn't you get my soon. email and letter explaining the situation? Yeah, um, and I love that the film subverts your expectation because you you're going into the film knowing he has to fight these evil exes. The thing is called Scott Pilgrim versus the World. You see the people on top, and then um, if you've seen the trailers, you know that that's what it's about. So. When you reading when he's reading this email and it's like hello my name is whatever 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 and we will do battle you're like oh snap this is the this is the gauntlet this is the beginning of all this stuff and he kind of just goes ah this is boring and he just well, he just changed, like he skimmed it he yeah. skimmed it but uh yes he he's uh the first of um Ramona's evil exes and according to Ramona the they only kissed once and broke up after a week is that enough to be put in the evil exes uh league the league of of exes I don't know I, don't feel like I, I honestly I don't think any half these exes weren't good enough to be in the League of Evil Exes. Matthew Patel and Lucas Lee specifically shouldn't have been in the League of Evil Exes, but I think it's it's not so much as they were evil exes as they turned evil because they were exes. And that's what it showed Luke. That's what uh, Lucas Lee's story in the second book was is like, you know, I'm, I'm only evil because yeah, yeah. I'm only the bad guy because she made me the bad guy. You know, she cheated on me with Todd Ingram. Right. So like that's why they're evil. Anybody that, that got scorned by Ramona and turned bad because of it Mm-hmm. is an evil ex. Yeah, so Matt comes down, comes ready to throw down, and Scott acts like, I don't know what is going on here and stuff. Um, had, did you notice the subtle uh, thing in this film where every time he gets into a fight with one of these people, someone says fight? Yeah. it has to. Someone has to say fight. Majority of the time, it is Wallace Wells who says, fight! Or fight! <laughs> you gotta fight! Scott, evil ex, yeah, fight! Fight! And, and, and then, uh, yeah, that, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but Patel has like some kind of like Michael Jackson X moves and he gets called a pirate. Pirates people, are in that year though. Yeah, people were, people Pirates were, like, were definitely in that year. People were playing him. How do you feel about his, uh, mystical powers and his demon hipster chicks? Oh, I thought everything, <laughs> it was just so comic book accurate that I just couldn't help but love the design. Like his design was really done well. You really see the demon hipster chicks. Yeah. And also, 
he was a hard person to fight in the video game. Yeah. I'm not going to front. Those demon hipster chicks were really overpowered in the video game yeah, for I'd no reason. Yeah, I'd love to play this game. Especially after this Oh, you could probably you, you could download it for free on Xbox Live probably. Uh, uh, like it, it's it's a free game. Uh, and it it's an 8-bit like side scrolling. Think of it how like uh, the old Ninja Turtles game used to be. Yeah, I was listening to the I'm going to butcher this. There's a Japanese band that plays a lot of the Scott Pilgrim 8-bit stuff and uh yeah, I was listening to that stuff and some of that stuff just Makes you happier. I guess it just makes you think of older times. Well, that's why the, the movie instantly sold me for the fact that Universal's logo was done in 8-bit. Uh, I forgot that. And when the movie started, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like and That's, that's I, all you need is that 8-bit opening. And we'll get to uh, Universal in a bit because it comes up again. But, um, yeah, uh, Matthew Patel, he gets the punches of doom. Right? He basically gets knocked out. Left and right. So, uh, is nobody going to talk about like that Scott actually murdered people in this movie well the thing is no one no one sees it as like a a big thing and i do think that this the reason um why that matthew fight is probably even the most important fight here is because it establishes all the madness that takes that will be that that movie yeah Yeah. and so if at this point of the film you have a choice to make you either you either dig everything you just saw or you hate everything you just saw if you hate everything you just saw you're gonna hate everything else because it only gets more wacky and more bonkers and i i Actually, and this is in all my forms of media. I'm fine with you going crazy. Just there's a there's a way you could be crazy on a line, like you know, crazy, but also um, be entertaining with it. You know, yes, don't be definitely. like a boring crazy. And this movie was incredibly entertaining in, in the sense that it, it felt never so quick. It, felt it so never short. let you daydream. It never let you go. Oh, well, you know, I think I gotta watch close today. Like, there's always something coming up and popping up on the screen. And just like right when they get done with Matthew Patel. You bump into Lucas Lee, my man, Chris Evans, my man. <laughs> uh, Lucas Lee, Ramona's second evil ex. I liked him more in the movie than I did in the comic. Well, he's he's definitely more like more malicious in the film um, because we we I, in both he's a pro skateboarder turned movie star, and they call him a sellout, which actually is supposed to be. I think it was a it was inspired by Jason Lee. Yeah, who same thing. Um, and then Wallace is a huge fan of his, and he um, is the one who goes to his. Uh, well, that's castle. what I love about the the comic book. He hates Wallace. I know Wallace hates him. Because he thinks he's a sellout. Yeah. yeah. And it's true. He's like, listen, I'll throw the fight for money. How much money you got on me? Well, here's another thing. In the comics, Wallace helps Lucas. I'm sorry. Helps Scott train to fight Lucas. Like, they watching all his movies. <laughs> 500 push-ups or something Yeah, they're like that. watching all his movies. And they're doing all that kind of stuff. So, I thought that was um, pretty funny. But they shortcut all that. Uh, Wallace loves Lucas Lee. We're going to go to his, um, you know, he's filming a, a movie not too far from here. And, uh, yeah, we see Chris Evans simultaneously squint and has his eyebrows raised which if you if you have a human face it's extremely hard to do try to squint i'm doing it right now try to squint while raising both your eyebrows it's hard because you're pushing your face together we look like idiots i wish you guys saw this not only do we look like idiots but i know that our loving listeners are trying as well and the idea that we're all we're all idiots right now <laughs> together. That that that's why I made this podcast for. Yes, that, um, incredibly hard, incredibly hard, Mister uh, Mister uh, Evans. So, also, if you are from the DVD commentary, or I think there was also the there's on the DVD that I bought the Blu-ray has like a bunch of different versions of the movies where you get little fun facts in the movie. Yeah, and you have DVD commentary, so it's two things. Yeah, so you see all these little. Uh, fun facts for each various scene. So okay. that scene that did the close up of uh Lucas Lee crushing the cup of coffee. Yeah. That was real coffee. Oh wow. That was that was actually real hot coffee. Oh my gosh. That's the steam that was yeah. he really squeezed a hot cup of coffee on his hand and threw it down. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this guy was former Human Torch, right? And this was, <laughs> was this was our first introduction of like badass Chris Evans because I don't think anybody remembers the movie Cellier. I know um, I remember the movie Cellier. What, what, what year was Losers? Uh, I think two thousand nine. Okay, or two thousand well, one of the two thousand like around that around, around the time here. of that where he was start where he got Human Torch and then he started doing the Losers and then Scott Pilgrim. Now he's Captain America. This dude has done a lot. Yeah, we of don't comedy. see American Treasure Chris Evans until next year when he gets into the Captain America mode. And it's and great. still, I don't think people were were sold a hundred percent then. I think Avengers and then Winter Soldier. Well, look got at him on, as on Lucas Lee. And then look at him as the winter, as as he was in the Winter Soldier with the nice blonde hair, nice yeah. and jacked. I, like I feel like there's a through line that you can make from not another team movie to Lucas Lee. But, oh, but not from those to Captain America. Like that seems like such a story. And he even carries himself differently now. But seeing him as a villain, uh, do you think he has the chops? Do you think you could we could see be we be seeing Chris Evans play a villain? He was uh, believable. He was a badass, and he was just funny. Yeah, he was. Where he's like, I, 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 was it? I feel like, if I, in case I feel like getting blazed back in my Winnie, they do the wide shots. Oh yeah, it's like I'm nothing without my my stunt team. When he gets out of the thing, and they play the Universal theme song, when he gets out of his trailer, <gasps> and he cracks his neck to the bump bump. Yeah, that he, is great. He comes out, and they play the Universal theme song again. I'm just like, wow, these things. They they know who they're talking to. They're talking to people who have ingested so much media that they know these theme songs. They know what a movie starting sounds like, all that kind of stuff. So when you tweak it just a little bit, people recognize it. They understand it, and they uh they're in on the joke as well. But yeah, he's kind of a jerk in this. In the like you said in the original one. In the book, he kind of gives up. He's like, I, I, I we never even want. They never even fought. That was the thing. I think he threw him. He, 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 pun- him? He, he punched him and like threw him or whatever. He's yeah. like, oh, and he's like, hey, you're Lucas Lee. I'm Scott Pilgrim. Oh, you're Scott Pilgrim. Punch to the face. Then he throws him. He's yeah. like, hey, you want to go get coffee and talk about this? And they get coffee. He's smoking a cigarette and he's like, listen, uh, I'll throw the fight for you. How yeah. much money do you have? Right. He's like, wow, you really are a sellout. But they both ultimately get defeated because Scott dares him to do some kind of crazy. A grind on a on a on bunch a, of stairs, yeah. like six hundred steps with some rusty. I think you grinds. see him actually crash in the comic, whereas this you kind of see it. In oh the no, distance. yeah, in the comic, you you like his knees hit the floor and he like disappears. The second like it, the drawing looks like he's in the middle as soon of disappearing. As he impacted, he like was going away. This all you see is the poof, the poof. Which Does is Scott go get those coins? Uh no, no, I right? don't think he ever got the coins. I he think the only time there, he really right? grabbed coins was well, he grabbed them with Matthew. He that was like... it. That was the only time he grabbed the coins from Matthew Patel because when he headbutted uh Todd, he didn't grab the coins. No, I don't think he grabbed them from. Gideon. He didn't grab them from the Katianagi twins. I don't even think the Kati. No, no they did give up. They gave up eleven hundred yeah. coins, eleven thousand yeah. coins. A lot of coins. The only person that ended up grabbing the coins for Gideon was Stephen Stills. She's like, there goes our record deal. Yeah, he's do like, we still get paid? There, there goes, goes our record deal. deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, really good. Um, yeah, Lucas Lee, um, he's the one that ultimately does the most exposition about like, oh, oh yeah, there's a whole league. They're all coming. We're here to we're here to yeah, ruin, and even in the movies, like, you really don't know about the league? Yeah. Oh, no problem, bro. It's all cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's go get a beer. But yeah, <laughs> one minute he's there, one minute he's gone, and Lucas Lee is is, is done and dealt with. And then uh, we get... I want to put him in, in a bit of a pair because well, see, we this get is what the I like. introduction um, of um in the third one he didn't get com- he didn't get coins in the book for the third one when he defeats Lucas Lee it, it, he yeah, in the in the second book yeah. he gets a skateboard made of metal from metal from Middle Earth myth myth uh, I don't even want to yeah. yeah it's some like Manalian skateboard all I know is it's, it's like a, vibranium it's people. metal from <laughs> the Lord of the Rings lore yeah so that's pretty cool and you never see it really again and so he's he's two X's down he's got a couple to go and he's. He's with uh, Ramona. He's not with Nice. He's living on 
uh, Cloud9 until Envy calls him. His ex-girlfriend, played by Brie Larson, um, Natalie Envy Adams, who is the lead singer of the Clash at the Demon Head. Which I think that's where her name Envy comes from. Cause yeah, because her, her middle name is Victoria. Yes. So it's it was Natalie, Natalie Victoria, Victoria Adams. Envy Adams. Adams. Which I think is a pretty cool nickname. Nat, nobody's ever called, no one calls me that anymore. How do you feel about these comic book-esque nicknames? These Wallace Wells and uh, Judy Oh, no, the, the, the and... naming of the of these characters is fantastic. Yeah. Like, you cannot listen to these characters and not be like, wow, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Wallace Wells, Stephen Stills. Like, yeah. I want to be a Stephen Stills. Gideon Graves. Wow, I just started, I just noticed that now a lot of them are, that, are two letters. That's that comic book stuff, man. That's that wow. Peter Parker, Gideon Miles Morales, <laughs> uh, yeah, Bruce Banner kind of stuff that's going on. Yeah, uh, this going on there. both uh, SSGG. Yep. But uh, my man Clark Kent, Brandon Ralph shows up as Todd Dylan Ingram. Dog. If anybody's ever seen the the crappy movie Dylan Dog, or maybe I should be calling him um, Doctor Ray Palmer as the Adam, because he's played two pretty uh, distinctive superheroes, both for DC. But yeah, Brandon Ralph shows up as Todd Ingram, who is currently dating. Uh, Envy Adams? Yes. He's dating Envy Adams. And that's where it was And all he fun. used to date Ramona. So, <laughs> both of Scott and Ramona's exes are together. And are that's in who they cheated band. on each other with. Yeah, and they're, they're uh, in a successful band. Which I guess that's in the comics. That's where there's more subtle things where it's like, yeah, he's they're definitely meant to be together because her third ex cheated on her with his biggest ex. And yeah. also, like, um, in the comics, they both punch a hole in the moon. He punched a hole in the moon for both... That was it. Todd this. punched a hole in the moon for Ramona first, and then he punched a hole in the moon for Envy. And in the I think in the uh, I, I, the third book, he was cheating on Envy with their drummer. The one that oh the yes the There's one with a, the bi- uh, but the bionic arm and they never really they she's in the film and you see her in one of the shots but you don't you you can't she was the one that, that punched on. she was the one that punched knives in the comic, where the highlights get knocked out of her hair. It was actually the drummer. You just see her, like, you see her take the bandage off her arm and her bionic arm just stretches. Yeah. And also the fight. What I loved about that is I like the fight in the movie more than I did with the fight with Todd because their second fight in the book was helped by Clash. It was helped by Crash and the Boys. Did they in the, well, that's also what happened with, with Matthew. When Matthew Patel, the, um, Sex bomb. Um, remember they come together and they do like some kind of like X. Yeah. And that's what I like because a lot of the words that Matt was singing in the movie was being sung between Matt and Pilgrim. Yeah, and in this, um, they do a... In the books, they don't just follow Scott around. They follow everyone around. That, oh, that yeah, there's clip. so many like different characters that you see their own little backstories. Exactly. And so with this, because you're only following Scott, he's basically the one that beats everybody except for... Um, well, he does. No, he beats everybody. Uh, so the thing about Todd is, Todd is a vegan. And uh, even though... He was a vegan. Eventually, he would end up vegan. <laughs> I cannot believe he that was, said that. It's like you once were a vegan. Now he, you will be. And gone. he says it in like the most unaffected. I'm reading it off my hand kind of way. And I know that it was played for last like that. Like that he did it specifically like that. But his deadpan way of saying it, like if he thought it was cool, because Lucas Lee is played that way, right? Lucas Lee is played very Tug Speedman, right? Playing yes. very, very yes, like, yes, yes. Uh, who left the fridge open and all that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> um, whereas uh, Todd is literally shown to be like almost a Super Saiyan, a Super Saiyan vegan 
His hair was Thing. all glowy. His eyes. He's 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 smashing him through walls. He's beating him at base. Um, literally beating him at everything. Before we finish on Todd, how did you feel about uh, Brie Larson as Envy Adams and Envy's like? Come come backstage. Come play with us. Come open up for us and all that other kind of stuff. Her introduction was so I want to say cringy for the simple fact was she was sexually moaning every dialogue. She's like, "I wish you guys would come. It would be so oh, on me- the phone, right? No, yeah, on the phone. And yeah. when she sees her in the coffee shop, okay, where she's like, "Oh, what? No." Yes, like every dialogue kind of weird sexually. Like every every word she was saying was so sexual that when she was just like, "I wish you guys would come." Don't worry, you're already on the invite list. And I'm like, "Oh, what the hell? Yeah, you're in public. Mm-hmm. Like, wow." That's funny. But Todd was pro- Todd's probably my favorite ex because of how far they went in the book with him. Okay. And how stupid he he like he and was the vegan, really and the vegan police. <laughs> That's the thing is the vegan he ate more than what it showed in the comic. Like they really like in the movie they simplified it to yeah. gelato and chicken parm. Yeah, but and this was the joke. <laughs> All of chicken parm is is. But this is was not the joke. Vegan. <laughs> the vegan police didn't know what chicken parm was like. Where he's like the was like on April 29th, you ingest, you knowingly ingested a plate of chicken parmesan. He's like, chicken isn't vegan. He's like it's some sort of rat. He's like, oh, I think it's yeah, that yeah. vegan police is like, I think it's some sort of rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love uh, that gelato isn't vegan. Milk and eggs, bitch. How do you feel about uh, Todd punching knives? How do you feel about T- Todd knocking out a 17-year-old uh, Asian schoolgirl? I really think they should have left it with the drummer, but it, it made more sense that the drummer had a part in the comic than it, she did in the movie. And the movie was just supposed to be an Easter egg for fans. Like, you yeah. know, a lot of crazy fans are going to be like, oh my God, that's the drummer that punches knives. That's the drummer that Todd cheated on. Yeah. This, I just like it because it shows. I'm not afraid to hit a girl. I'm a rock star. Yeah. Holy crap. What? Yeah, it definitely makes you lose. He just knocked fun. out a 17-year-old girl. Um, Punched but- the highlights out of her hair. Ultimately, uh, even though Scott is in over his own head, he's able to convince the very vegan Todd to drink half and half. And that causes Todd to get caught by the vegan police. Uh, for Which is Punisher. Yeah, one of them is Thomas Jane's uh, The Punisher. So I thought that was So many cool. actors that played comic book characters are in this movie. and Definitely. It, it takes like a very like... From before and after. Like who some who have already played and some who will eventually go It's like if you watch this movie play. now, you'll just start noticing, oh my God, that's Punisher. That's Superman. That's Captain Marvel. That's Captain America. What is going on? Yeah. Like everybody just went to just either have previous roles or just own their respective new roles. So the police shows up and they hit him with some kind of vegan ray. De-veganized ray. De-veganized ray that takes away his hair. Like it, it, it takes away <laughs> the, the body of his hair. Yeah. It just starts to wilt. And uh, he is dejected and he is um, unmotivated and ultimately gets headbutted by Scott who uh, defeats him and takes the coins. Which is a fun fact of after uh, Natalie leaves uh-huh. in the book. Where he, she, like, he, like, Todd, Scott's getting his, finally getting his real closure in the book. Mm-hmm. She's going on, like, a train, and that's when he says, you know, see you around, Nat. And yeah. he's like, no one ever called me that, and, like, they should. Oh, right, they do that. In what happens film. in the book, in the comic book, is she ends up with a relationship with Gideon. I heard this, yes. Yes. Yeah. She was, she was, like, a big, like, uh. But that speaks, that speaks to the overarching story of Ramona and Gideon. The idea that someone that he was close to would get trapped up the same way that the, someone he's currently close to got trapped up. Like they they do a lot of that um, in the book and in the film. Like yeah, she ends up being like a justice, solo or, artist. You know. Yeah. So like the band, like the, the two well, thirds also, of the band yeah, broke up because he's a uh, record 
uh, record producer, uh, producer yeah. yes. Like, uh, what, they, what did they say? The indie producer of the millennia. They yeah, called him indie what, producer of the millennia. Also, like, what does that even mean when you're an indie producer? Like, what, <laughs> what is that? You know, what is the heights of indie production in comparison to, like, obviously, and, and, like, and has any music like, been around a thousand years that you can call him the best indie producer of the last thousand years? Yeah, I don't know. I like his suits, though. And I like his glasses. I love Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, he's pretty Jason funny. Schwartzman is the man. He's pretty funny. Um, we move on because although there's various p- times in this in this where Scott's getting frustrated with uh, the whole idea of fighting the evil exes, and he will try to explain this to Ramona by saying, I don't understand why I got to fight all your evil ex-boyfriends, and she would say exes. And you don't understand why she keeps re- uh, That's funny because she doesn't him. say exes in the comic. No. She says evil ex-boyfriends. Yeah. So it's like she's being subtle with it. Yeah, so she says exes, uh, you know, and she keeps saying like exes and correcting him and when he says boyfriend. And we don't really understand why until um, the first time we meet Mae Whitman as Roxy Richter. Uh, the president's daughter from Independence Day. Just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> and the fourth evil ex uh, uh, and her former college roommate from her sexy face. That's what Scott called it, right? Yep. And spo- spoiler, <sighs> man, I, I don't even know how to say this, but it's probably the most gruesome death in comics, dude, no, no, you haven't. Read- oh, in the book, in the book, gruesome. Oh, okay, like I want you to read it. Okay, like, I don't want to. I don't want to say to anybody here. I want you guys to read Scott Pilgrim gets it together. The fight versus Roxy in Ramona's subspace highway bag. Okay, dude, it's the oh do man. They, do they dive deeper into what made their relationship tick? Because I they, I got nothing from the. Film. No, yeah. Uh, okay. there, there was there was a point in the comics where uh, Scott is wor- – in the fourth book, Scott's already working. He's a dishwasher, and he's been fired and hired like three times at the same place. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So he's on shift, and he walks into his place, and he sees Roxy and Ramona literally catching up over coffee and talking. And he's like, oh, my God, this is your ex. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Calm down. We're just talking. And you, know, you really get a lot of uh, Roxy and Ramona's real relationship in the book. But once again, man, her the, the way he defeated her, <laughs> gruesome, gruesome. Uh, well, Scott refused to fight a woman, so Ramona and her. Well, first he she tries to fight her. Sorry, she tries to fight him, um, in like, in the street, and then you uh, punch me in the boob. Yeah, and then and, and then <laughs> and then she disappears, and then she goes and tries to fight him at a club, and um, he refuses to fight a woman, so Ramona, uh, and her do battle. Eventually, Scott's forced into the yeah, fight. Yeah, hit a girl. They're soft. Eventually, Scott's um, uh, forced into the fight, right? Because Roxy's like, "Oh, this is a this is a thing a league game." Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Scott's forced to fight her, and um, Barry defeats her, but he does because he pokes her weak spot in the back of her knee, causing her to explode into coins. Which in the comics is how Ramona defeated Envy in their fight, right? Because that's what Scott said. Scott's like, the weak point's in the back of her knees. She's like, yeah. how does that help? I don't know. Whenever we were making out, it would just... Uh, and she's like, okay, stop. And she touches it. Yeah. It's so She doesn't explode into and coins. Yeah. She just <laughs> so orgasms. Roxy Richter... Uh, yeah, she goes out probably in the best way anyone could ever die, <laughs> I'm assuming. Dude, she it was so funny. She's like, you will never be able to, to do, do this, this to her. her. Yeah, I was like, what? That's a kind of thing. Or my favorite line, your BF's about to get effed in, in the B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, oh, my yeah, God. That was pretty funny. Pil- but, but besides, every pilgrim reaches the end of its journey. Besides that, they didn't really have much for Roxy in this, I felt. I felt like her biggest thing was that she was a girl. Like, that was her, her reveal. The I, reveal I, I'll agree with that. A, like it, They really just made it that it's just Ramona dated a woman once. Yeah. Where, Which I guess in 2010, I mean... 
I mean, in 2000 period, right? But we're we're more we're far more progressive. I feel now. like we're yeah. I feel like we're more evolved and just like, uh huh. She dated a well, girl. Like right now, you can you can jump to a conclusion that maybe if you meet somebody right now, blind date, they might have some at some point somehow maybe maybe you know got down with the same sex. Probably there's a the the, the possibility is higher. I feel true. like now one hundred percent true. Whereas at this time. This was not even a thought in his head. He met this woman. 2005 Canada or whatever. Yeah, like, he, he met her. She bumped into him and then, and literally the only people who've been bumping into him are people fighting him because they dated Ramona. And so the fact that she he saw her twice and still had no clue and they even show like the, the diagram in his head where he Gets goes it. from not getting it to getting it. Uh, and uh, Which I love because yeah. the comics, <laughs> it's actually... It's a chicken. It's a chicken that it's hatches chicken. in his brain. His brain opens up and it's a chicken. I remember seeing that that it's a chick. That is hilarious. Ultimately, these in the movie, uh, the, a lot of the framing of the film has to do with the idea that the sex bomb arms are in a battle of bands. So, the next band that they're seemingly having to to duel with are the Katyanagi Katyanagi the Katyanagi twins. twins, which was I kind of like their fight in the in the book way more than the movie. Yeah, Kyle and Ken Katyanagi are Ramona's. Fifth and sixth evil exes. Now, that's probably where I draw the line. <laughs> you know what I'm that, that's, probably I, that, that's probably where I draw the line. She because I, you gotta, at the same time. You got to like let me know how all that went. You know what I'm saying? I can't just, you can't just have like literal twins just show up and be like, oh no, that's just, that's, I well, went see, through that's, that phase. That, that's the problem with, with a lot of um com- uh, people that aren't comic book Movie fans, yeah, where they're like, "Oh, I don't want to have to read," or even books. Like, I don't want to have to read the book to understand why this is like this. Where in Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe, you get the whole introduction to who the Katsunagi twins are. They were being used by Ramona at the same time. I guess I think it was she didn't she couldn't tell the difference. That makes more sense than anything else. Yeah, and uh, also uh, the Chaos Theater fight where you see the sex bomb with Young Neil. Yes, all work. That's their outfit from that fifth book okay. at a Halloween party. Yeah, That's what is what it? They, Where are they dressed as? Day of the Dead. Ju- ah, okay. Julie threw. Julie was very known for throwing parties. That's why that whole Julie's party in the movie in the yeah. book, every book she threw a party. Yeah. So one of the parties she threw was a Day of the Dead Halloween party, and everybody came in as Day of the Deads. Okay. So that that's what sense. they were dressed as, Day of the Dead. This was probably the most visually ambitious scene because although a lot of the other scenes were action scenes with flares of special effects this literally neither one of the combatants touched each other in this uh yeah, they... scientifically this makes no sense how are you gonna have not only two bands perform but perform at the same time what they call them dueling amps or something like that dueling amps or something like that like something. dueling amps like we're gonna we're just gonna play our music at the exact same time and whoever and the, you guys, you guys and get you to vote. And you see how big the amps are on the Katsunagi's twin side. Oh my god, they're Dude, huge. Dude, they're huge. Freaking huge. You find out that they, these guys are DJs and they, who engage a sex bomb arm in a myst- mystical amp battle during the semi-final rounds of the Battle of the Bands. They tore the roof off. Yeah, initially they, they freaking kill it. Like you said, they tore the roof off. They, they summon double dragons and they, that come out of their amps. Uh, but ultimately, they defeated when Scott summons a Yeti by activating his distortion pedal. I also feel like it's this moment where Scott's the most angry. Like, he's the most, like, oh, you over see it in this his whole face. thing. Yeah, you see it in his face. He, he, this is the first time he introduces the band. Yeah. You don't, you don't get Kim going. When you get Kim going, I think Kim said, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think, does Kim say, 
one, two, three, or during that point where he's like, uh, we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. No, it just starts no, with dun 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 And he's like, this is the start of our song. Yeah. That is one of the greatest lines ever. This is the start of our song yeah. as the song starts. Oh, my God. And also, if you see, like, if you pause it, you can see both holes in the moon. When, uh, when Neil's like, they tore the roof off and it yeah. shows the moon, you see two big holes in the moon that That's Todd funny. punched for Ramona and Envy. Those vegan powers, bro. Those vegan powers, man. But yeah, I did like Scott finally coming into his own. A lot of the times he didn't seem confident with his music. And, and especially this was right after he lost to Todd in the I base I thought he came into his own during the, the, the first time he the first time he went to fight Gideon. Where like yes. he, he, he wasn't... He, was at, just, he just wasn't doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, he was, he was just doing it because he's like, I want this. This is me. I want to be the man. I want to succeed. I want to win. And then the second time he goes back and it's like... Now he knows I don't want to win because I want love. I want to win because I want self-respect. I want my self-worth. Mm-hmm. And I like how he just, he doesn't really ask questions. He just punches the crap out of the people. Yes, this is true. Um, especially yeah, in, this, in the second time around. The second time around where he's just, he punches the people. So, uh, yeah, the Khan Tianagi twins, and they just end up getting destroyed by um, the Yeti. The, the, the two fall, yeti. yeah, the dragons just fall right on top of them. Yeah, uh, and the amps and everything. <laughs> like everything just starts exploding and there's a whole thing uh, there. And even though there's a finals to the Battle of the Bands, uh, my homie Scott Pilgrim realizes that Ramona's in the crowd talking to Gideon Graves, a.k.a. G-Man Graves, the guy who owns the record uh, studio, a.k.a. the guy who's going to give out the record deal for the winner of the Battle of the Bands. So, and Ramona's ex-boyfriend, the one that she seemingly left New York for to come to, to Canada. Um, another heartbreaking scene. He goes to run after them and bumps into knives. <laughs> that song, I don't know if you if you managed to hear the song that plays in the background, mm. but it's so sad. It, it it goes um, you used to be one of the rotten ones, and I liked you for that. Wow, that just plays over and over and over Damn. again while she just looks at him with the fucking with the hood on. Yeah, all you hear is used to be one of the rotten ones, and I liked you for that over and over. I'm like, wow, and that's she's like, so and creepy. And she literally says, "I just came to see you guys play." Like she, like he didn't even like ask any. Like she offered that, like, "Don't get mad. I'm literally just here as a fan." And it's like, damn, she's still cares. She's like, wearing. She's still... she has the hood. I figured. I found that she I... made her own sex bomb mom shirts. Ellen Wong really made those shirts. Oh, that's funny. That's that's another fun I fact. Remember, I uh, remember when I saw the first one, I turned and I said, I think that looks homemade. And yeah, no, that homemade. yeah, um, Ed, Edgar Wright asked her to, or I think she asked if she could make her own like t-shirt. Girl and t-shirt. she made two Sex Bomb t-shirts, and the one that Edgar Wright liked was the one that was used, which is the one that she made, where it looks like it's just construction paper taped yeah, to a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she cares, man. She cares, and she's still there. So, I don't know. In that moment there, like, I felt like that was everything he needed to know. Ramona's literally walking out the door with, your ex, with her ex, and here's the girl that you try to date. Like, open and shut. But instead, he walks past Knives to go back to Ramona. It's like he doesn't even acknowledge her. And, and that happens a lot. When, when Before he fights Matthew, Knives jumps into his arms and kisses him. And Ramona sees them. And it creates this whole awkward thing, like, wait a minute, who's that random girl kissing you? And then Nines is like, who's this random girl who's looking at you funny? And instead of... How did nobody, like, put two and two together for that one scene? I mean, I love the whole, I've got to go, and he just <laughs> runs away. But I'm just like, hold on. This is a girl that you just spent the night with. Yeah. And now you invited her to your battle of bands. Mm-hmm. 
and you, she probably thinks, oh, he's single. He he's sleeping in my bed half naked. Yeah. All of a sudden, some well, girl just jumps that, into his arm and kisses him. Not only that, this was a relationship that he started. He started all this. I can understand if she was, if if Ramona was pining for Scott. They got in a situation where they had a one night stand that actually wasn't a one night stand. And the next morning, he was like, "Hey, listen, if you got a chance." But he's the one almost begging for this interaction. While Nyes is on the side, while yeah. Nyes is, is the whole is Pac there. Man thing in the movie, the whole what was the book? He likes her shoes or whatever. Yeah, I like his shoes. I'll leave you alone forever now. <laughs> that's, that's so great. Um, yeah, he goes outside and he tries to talk to Ramona. Ramona is not. You can't talk to her. She's and she already to, has. This is the third time she changed her hair. Yeah, she's, she's green, green now. now. Yeah, and she's going to. Um, what? How do you feel about Scott's reaction to the idea that she could change her hair whenever? Like he kind of had like a nervous breakdown. Yeah, uh, I think it was in the con. Well, yeah, he calls her like fickle or stuff in the book. Yeah, he but called I think- her fickle in the in the film. He called her fickle because I was. I remember thinking to myself like, did he just of- say? Fickle? And did you say that out loud? Like, if a girl, if if a girl, she you're walked digging, into the bathroom. Yeah, and he's like, if a girl you're digging slash dating shows up. And she has a new haircut. You don't call her fickle to her face. Like, what kind of man? Well, no, th- no, he didn't say it to her face. She walked into the bathroom. He's like, she changed her hair. Oh, my God. She changed her hair. He's like, yeah, I like it. It looks oh, nice. Oh, you know what? I think, yeah, yeah. I think it's, He's like, she's I think impulsive and fickle. And, and I it- think it's thought bubbles in the comic. And then in here, he ta- he he confesses it to Wallace. And that's when Wallace is like, oh, you really thought I was going to gay it up. You just made a big deal out of, like, hair dye and stuff like that. And the, the changing of the hair for the comics was, it wasn't color. It was length. Okay. Where she lets her hair like actually grow down to her by the fourth by like by the fourth book, you see her green hair. Her green hair is at her like her shoulders. Yeah. And he says like your hair is getting long, and she's like, yeah, I haven't cut it in like two weeks or whatever. Yeah. But poor Nyes, who got the highlights punched out of her, and uh, cuts her hair and does all this Dumped. stuff. Dumped. Uh, she decides that she's gonna try to play around with young Neil. <laughs> she's gonna at least uh, try to use him to get uh, Scott jealous. But ultimately, the big bad in this, the uh, the main antagonist, the seventh evil ex, is Gideon Gordon Graves, played by Jason Schwartzman. Um, a real putz, right? <laughs> a real, just a real, a real passive aggressive jerk. Like I, he... lo- I love it because when you see him, intro- when he call- calls Scott Pilgrim's name, the way it initially starts, it's he's about to yell at him. Yeah, and then he goes, "Hey, hey, buddy!" He's like, "Scott Pilgrim." Yeah. Hey, buddy, how's it? It's like that's passive aggressive as hell. Yeah. Well, you know, he uh, when he follows him out, he thinks there's gonna be a confrontation right then and there, and instead he uses his money to just make the problem go away. Basically, like, oh, you guys want to fight me? I'll just sign you guys. You guys are great. I'll sign you guys right now. <laughs> and he does, and that yep. dearms the entire sex bomb moms except for Scott. Who's like, I'll never sign. And then he was like, yep, I'll take Which this. Which is another thing that's true to the comics because sex bombs do break up. Yeah, they, yeah. They do break up in the comics. That's so true. that's another, I like that, that they break up in the movie. Yeah. And it, it, it's their future is really unforeseen. And I guess it's on purpose that I guess Neil is now sex bombs new basis. Right. Because Scott's running away with Ramona in the subspace. So sex bombs going to have Neil, which I don't mind. I like young Neil. Yeah, he's definitely earned his spot on that on that band, and he was a fan for long enough to know all their songs. I think at one point he, uh, Scott even walks out and was like, Neil's, Neil knows everything. Neil knows all my stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, Neil knows all the words. He Just actually he gets butthurt in the comics when they call Knives their biggest fans. 
He does. He's like, what about me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like he's just he just walks into the room and Stephen Stills calls like Knives, our, our biggest fan. Yeah. And he's like, you see him like crying and running away, and they're like, no, Neil, come back. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, damn, that's 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 sad. He like Neil seems more childlike in the comics than he does in the movie. He barely says anything in the comics. He's always just wide eyed and like. Which, what I love that they gave him more to say because in the comics, I didn't like his introduction. I liked his introduction with Knives more in the movie than I did the comics. Where she's like, what do you play? And he's like, wow, uh, Zelda, Tetris. It's kind of a big question. But in the comics, he's just like, I don't play anything. I just live here. Yeah. Like, wow, that's sad. Kind of dry. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's really, like, depressing, dude. But we got got the leader of the evil exes, my man, G-Man Graves. Um, And uh, after Sex Bomb um, accepts the uh, Gordon's record deal. Or Gideon's record deal. Uh, Gideon invites Scott to his venue, the Chaos Theater, where the Sex Bomb Arms are playing. Uh, hoping to win Ramona back, Scott challenges Gideon to a fight to the death for her affection. I like that Gideon made him say it. Like, you want to fight me for her. Like, he he put it out there. Like, before you say you want to fight, realize what you're saying and realize what you, why you're doing it. And he says, yes, I want to fight you for her. I'm more um, of a fan of the him doing it because he loves her and Scott earning the power of love than the self-respect. I understand why the sex, why the lear- doing it for self-respect is more important, but I personally like that he was doing it because he finally said the L word. Well, you know, it's weird. When you say that, like the idea of, um, of the self-respect versus the love, I feel like that, Ultimately, if that's the story that you wanted to tell, it needed to be Ramona versus Gideon. It needed to, she needed to close that chapter in the book um, with that self-respect. Well, and that's what they to, did. In the, that's why they did it in the comics. You know, and so, like, I, you need both. We need both love and self-respect. I guess that I get. I guess I get it that love is not going to win the day just on the strength of love itself, and that you do need a certain. You level can't of win on just love alone. You yeah, because to... if you, if someone is supposedly giving you love in a loving relationship, but still doesn't respect you, and you don't have self-respect, it can still be a very toxic environment, such as the environment that Gideon uh, puts um, Ramona in, uh, where my girlfriend audibly gasped at, at the image of him like petting her. At the, you know, he's sitting in a chair and she's basically like sitting down on her knees. Yeah, that's and, that's a taken straight from her mind. Yeah. Like that's how that's how Scott confronts Gideon yeah. inside Ramona's mind. Yeah. And she's he's the there with the, with, on a throne and he's yeah. on the throne. She has this collar on and there's just a bunch of different Ramonas. Yeah. And I like that they kept the line, let's both be girls together and Anita's a groin. Yeah. Because that was in the book too. Yeah. Where he's like, you oh, know, you're still my girl. Let's both be girls. Knees knees are right in the groin. How do you feel about the first time that my man Scott Pogan went toe to toe with Gideon Graves? Because ultimately what happens is Knives shows up and the the battle breaks into two with Knives against Ramona and then Gideon against my man Scott Pilgrim and in the inter in the ensuing situation and trying to explain that he's cheated, uh he stabbed. He is stabbed and killed, <laughs> but he gained a life in that Katianagi. Yeah, he got he got the one up in the Katianagi battle. So um, he comes back to life. But what do you think about that first that first instance? What's the password? Whatever. You know, that uh, kind of stuff. That's my favorite fight of the movie. Okay. Personally, not not Scott. I was gonna ask you what your favorite fight was. Not it, Scott, it's not... and it, my favorite fight is actually not against an ex. My favorite fight scene was when Scott comes into the Chaos Theater and all the people are just bouncing around and he has the the power of love and he's just taking them all apart with a sword and they're just bursting into coins and they're all like 
he's getting like 100 points from each person. I yeah. just like because he did the choreography himself. He learned the wiring technique and all that. So it's not like oh, it's wow. somebody else in the far shots. He's that's Michael Sarah yeah. working his ass off to be Scott Pilgrim. Well, it's, it's also Michael Sarah has a very identifiable body. So I don't know if there's going to be there would have been that many um, stunt doubles that could have. Yeah, no, you there, there's you know. no way you could you know that that's Michael Sarah. Yeah, but I like the I like the him because it was just there was a level of proficiency in that in this fight in the first time that was yes. amazing and um I remember watching it and even though I've seen it before it just looks visually impressive the idea that somebody could get stabbed and immediately turn into a bunch of coins which then which is like a it's a video game but then they, those coins immediately are affected by real life gravity and fall down like yeah. in real time you know if like they, they just burst in the air and then and they looked fall. like real coins it looked as if real oh, people I think they were, were canadian coins yeah it looked like real people were disappearing and coins were in their place and all that like rolling over somebody's back and slashing somebody mid air and them becoming coins like all of that was really really and cool and the first time uh then the song is when launchpad mcquack is being played it was Gideon that calls uh kim to play it and, and she just depressed. does it very monotonely well she's like we're a sex bomb mom we're sellouts yep. and we're just here to make money yeah, <laughs> and then the second time she does the "We are sex bomb one two three four" and then it just goes really. Well, she fast. goes, "We are sex bomb one two three four. Oh, we're, 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 we're here to watch <laughs> Scott Pilgrim kick your teeth in. Yeah, one yeah, two three four. Yeah, because yes. she was hyped for Scott. She was trying to get Scott in in with everything. Um, but yeah, he ultimately gets stabbed and has to use his one up and uh, re-enter the chaos theater after he finds out that Gideon had plant implanted. Um, good thing he did autosave. Yeah, right. Gideon had implanted Ramona with a mind control device, and I guess that's just an allegory for. X is having an unnatural control over there. Like, he literally uh, has a way of getting into other? my head. Yeah, X is just unnaturally have a ability if you don't if you don't close that door, if you don't go out of your way. Because she just ran from getting, basically, you know? She never really closed that door to the point that when he well, showed back up. that was the thing up, is no one really, besides knives, in the movie-wise, besides yeah. knives, no one really got true closure. That's true. Like, Scott finally got to curse, not curse, but Scott finally got to be mean to his ex. So, you yeah. know, you kick my heart in the ass, so we're even. Yeah. You know, like, uh, with uh, Ramona, yeah, it's funny she when fought it, him instead of, like, talking about it. When Todd does die or disappear or whatever, respawn, um, respawn. I, re- I remember thinking to myself, because she stands there, she goes, like, she puts on a face, I'm like, oh, yeah, you just killed her boyfriend. Like, I get this, is, I understand that this is the evil ex thing with Ramona, but he she also, lost her boyfriend that he she- also is the boyfriend of that living woman that's right there, and you just killed him in front of her. And it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, huh. she's, she's like, you just headbutted my boyfriend so hard he bursts. What does envy mean to this film at all? Like in comparison to the comics, there's a big, there's a big. I say she's a MacGuffin, really, and like a like a real like not not like a MacGuffin that like you don't see through the whole movie, you just hear about. But like their relationship in general is a MacGuffin. Oh, like, it's like a cloud that hangs over the whole film the entire time. Like, guess, like you right? hear about it, it's in the passing, Same it's in whispers. Yeah, yeah, like you you hear the the whispers and the passings of what Ramona's relationship was like, what Scott's relationship was like. But unless you read the comic, you're not really gonna get that in depth of of Envy's importance. Yeah, because Envy's pretty important in the book. That's what I'm. Th- that's what I'm thinking. Infinite yeah. Sadness. She's the cover of of the third book. Okay. That's her. That that redhead girl with the ponytail. Well, and the she's ears. about to. She's about to. Yeah. They they're about to debut that whole band and 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 all that stuff. Where yeah. she is now, and all that stuff there. Um, I felt like she was kind of a side note in this, but again, good. I just wonder those who don't read the comics. I wonder what they get from Envy from there because it seems open and shut. They meet. She he beats up the new boyfriend and then he leaves with yeah, the and when new you, girlfriend. And when you know well, all you know about Envy in the movie is. She cheated on Scott. 
yeah. she broke up with him on his birthday or something like that, or her birthday. It was some somebody's birthday party, and Scott gets dumped. And in the book, you know that she cheated on Scott with Todd, and Todd cheated on Ramona with uh, Envy. And then cheats on Envy with the... With the bandmate, the drummer. Yeah. And that's why the fight was so much more different in the third book. Because it's like, Envy knows, wait, Todd's a piece of crap. And she ends up fighting the chick with the bionic arm. So, Infinite Sadness, to me, personally, is my favorite of all... Isn't that fight with with the arm more like... Um, like that Roxy fight? Yes, 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 yes. A lot of the, a lot of the, like the Roxy fight and the knives fight are either in different points or with different characters. Mm-hmm. Where Ramona, when Ramona fights uh, Envy. It's the exact type of fight with her and knives. Where oh, even okay. Envy is like, "You unbelievable bitch," and she's like, "Believe it." That was in the movie. That was in the comic. So I like their pacing. I like where they pick and choose what scenes should go where because when you see it as a whole movie, a lot of it makes sense. If you were to watch the movie with what with a lot of the stuff that they left out in the comic, you're gonna be like, wait, this is looks like this is like a trilogy. Yeah, I need at least two more movies of this. So I the the, the whole fast paced was just great, and Envy is I guess she's like an amalgamation of everybody's ex. You know, like the what what got especially how guys call like. That one girl that really got through to them, or that one ex that they loved more than any other ex, like she was the big ex. Mm-hmm. And um, what else about? And well, with Envy, did you feel like she was malicious in this film? I don't really feel like she was. No, not at all. She was. I felt she was like, I guess the the, the stardom is what made her change her personality. Because uh, in the comic, yeah, she was very nice. She was a really nice character in the third book. Mm-hmm. Where you see her backstory with Scott. And then it was the more they got famous, the more they started getting like recognized, the more she started changing. Yeah. She went from Natalie to NV. She dyed her hair red. Uh, she kicked Scott out of the band. Like There was a whole thing where the book, she's actually not a good person at all. But in the movie, it's like she's just there. And she's and- just living her life. Like regardless of what your opinion is on her life she's, she's li- exactly yeah. 100% she's just doing what she feels is best for her and i like that and i like that in the comic she dated uh Gideon. <laughs> that's so great that's but, weird it's but, weird but in here um you know scott dies and he's able to come back and he does things double fat double as fast and with more of the gumption he just knocks out the guards they just explode into coins um and uh, he goes and takes on Gideon, but before he does that, he makes up with the sex with sex Bob um and he Bob um and he uh you know he what did he tell I can't remember what he tells Stephen I know he tells young Neil that he doesn't have to be young oh, anymore he tells Stephen the new sound is great don't change a thing I like okay. it better uh Neil you have done well for this point from this point on you'll be known as Neil yeah no Kim Neil. I'm sorry about how things ended with us I'm I know sorry I'm about piece, me yeah I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, sorry about me, me. I'm sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm crap. Yeah. And that was that was nice. And then then she gets into gear, they start playing the music, Scott goes back to destroying everybody, Nice comes back again to, to start fighting Ramona, but before they can even start He already knows he, she's in there. He just he just splits them up and explains that he was in the wrong. And I thought that was very mature of Scott in this instance. And then the three of them take on um Gideon. And I love that Ramona see in the comic Ramona hated that that she that she felt Scott cheated on somebody for her. And that's why she said, "You're just another evil ex waiting to happen." Ah, okay. And like she was, yeah, that, she that felt very scorned. That's film. why they broke up in the book. 
That line felt weird in the film, but I just chalked it up to her trying to be self-destructive of the relationship because she didn't want it to. Yeah, no, there was a whole big fight where about the whole cheating on knives with Ramona thing where she felt that was wrong. You know, I thought you were different. I thought you were a nice guy, but no, you're just another evil ex waiting to happen. So it makes more sense. And I do like the, the, the fight where it was like when she when Knives and Scott go to fight Gideon, it's like the, the Dance Dance Revolution thing that they were fighting. Yeah, it's, it's called the Ninja exa- Ninja Revolution. Ninja Ninja right? Storm or something like that? Yeah, it's something like that. But that's what that's what won their relationship over to me was their ability to be a team. You yeah. understand? Like, when, Even though they were had that whole the history they had, I, they were still managed to be teammates. There's a there's a they almost felt like they were even working to that because Ramona sees that and almost gives a face like, no, that's what oh, she did give yeah, that face they, when they were talking together and she's like, your hair's getting shaggy and all that. And she felt like she knew her place. Like, you know, my life's crazy and maybe I shouldn't be jumping from guy to guy to guy the same way that he shouldn't be jumping from girl to girl to girl. Which so is, I'm going to go find yeah, mine like, and he already has his. That's and why I, I'm here because I'm not supposed to be with him. I'm supposed to help him realize who he wanted to be with was under his nose the whole time. And that's, right, why, that's right. why I understand the alternate ending as much as I don't like it. Right, because um, for those who are uninitiated, there is an alternate ending in which Scott Pilgrim ends up with Knives instead of ending up with uh, Ramona. Yeah, um, the, where uh, he, like, she said, he tries to go again, go up to her and tell her, hey, you're leaving and everything. She's like, yeah, I'm leaving and all. And he doesn't, Knives doesn't Wait, say. Wait, what happened in the comic? Um, Knives, right? No, that, like, it, I think the, I can't remember how the, how it ended in the comic. I think they just ran off together. That was just it. Him and Ramona? Him and Ramona just ran off together. Because it was by the fifth one, Knives was already established that I don't want you back. You're not worth my trouble. You're not worth my time. Uh, okay. She already got drunk and made out with Kim. Yeah. Which what? That, Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Okay. There's a lot going on here. The start of the fourth book, Scott Pilgrim gets it together. They're yes. in the summer. And um, they're at Julie. Julie's throwing a birthday party on like a beach house. Mm-hmm. And Knives is invited because it's already been a year. So Knives isn't 17 anymore. Now she's 18. She wants to be looked at as an adult. So they're all getting drunk in Julie's parents' beach house. And uh, I think Scott was looking for Ramona. Mm-hmm. And he creeps by a door and he sees Kim and Knives in a room on top of, like, oh, dear. cuddled next yeah, to yeah, each yeah. other. Yeah, holding each other? Yeah, and then this is where the line comes, I kissed the lips that kissed you. Ah, yes. Because she said that to Kim. She Cause told Kim, because Kim, yeah. That's when she found out that she dated Kim. Ah, oh, so they just repurposed some of the dialogue for this. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue was, was repurposed for where it should be, and yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. But it's just, when you know the backstory to it, it's hilarious to think that, wow, Drunk Kim and Drunk Knives actually made out in book four. Yeah. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah, because Knives doesn't even drink. She can't even go out past this. What is it? The sun's got to be out. Oh, that uh, playtime. Oh, yeah. No, he goes. <laughs> that is. Oh, Yo, my when, God. When, when he called him out on that. Hey, every time he called him out, man, it was just legit. It's like, Took well, she bacon. can't really go out after dark, so it's not really uh, babysitting. It's more like playtime. It's not dating. It's more playtime. I'm going to need the bed tonight and for the rest of the week. For sex <laughs> and probably the year. <laughs> yeah. For sex. Oh no! Yeah, they they yeah they, there was a whole uh, they lost their apartment in the book. I heard. I heard. Yeah. yeah that's they, how he moved back in with his parents, right? Yeah, they lost the apartment oh, and, all, and all that. Uh. Yeah. So let's end up. Let's end this Gideon stuff. So Gideon, um, ends up fighting the dual team of knives and Scott, and when he seemingly has defeated both of them and broken their weapons and have them laying on the floor, 
Uh, Ramona taps him on the shoulder and gets his attention, and he thinks that she's going to come in for an embrace, but she chooses to knee him in the Crocs. And, uh, it, um... And that was just messed up. You yeah, never hit a guy that, there. That's, I understand, And but... then Scott just comes with the... Oh, well, because we should go... We should say that the first time when he said that he was fighting for Ramona, he was given the sword uh, or the... the power of the love. power of love. Bill Hader's voice. Scott earned the power of love. He was given a sword imbued with the power of love that shatters. And then he eventually gets a sword imbued with the power of self-respect that also shatters. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think it's funny. I, I can't remember, but I think uh, Gideon's little hand movements... Yes, it's not only reminiscent for like fight scenes, but I think it's a cheat code. Like any, like you see, like it's very subtly where it has yes. those little editings. Yeah, where it's like letters. It's like oh, I, to be a cheat I just code. love that eight bit sword, like that weird. Oh, where he just pulls it out, glowing yep. eight bit sword, and I like, and I may be wrong. I've seen the imagery for this, but I, um, correct me if I'm wrong. They play homage to Gideon's comic book character because at certain points, especially with the sword, his. Lenses are reflective. Yes, and that's so in the comics, yes. I think I remember seeing him in the comics. You can't see in his lenses. They're just you like cannot see his. Eye. It has that one little white line that's supposed to make for reflection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he has that shirt that's like three G's. Yeah, all together. Yeah, it's but I, I always thought it was six six six, but apparently it's a triangle. It's... Gideon Gordon Graves. Yes. Yeah. Um, I like. Do you know how long it took me to get all the contact information for this leak? Like two hours. Two hours. <laughs> two hours. No, no. The best line yeah, was that's that mundane stuff. That's you that mundane... made me swallow my gum. Oh yeah. It's gonna be in my digestive tract for seven years. He was so pissed off and that he swallowed his gum. Such the mundane, the mundane things like like opening up an email, reading a letter. Like you didn't read my email. You didn't get my letter. Like all those it's things. Like, dude, this thing claims I have mail. Hey, yeah. dude, now I'm reading it. Oh, yeah, oh my God. Oh, that stuff was hilarious. Like, I, have you never used AOL? Like, what's like, going on with Hey, you? Wallace, you know the website Amazon, Amazon.ca? What's the website for that? It's like Amazon.ca. <laughs> That's so uh, great. Yeah, Edgar Wright really, like, there's a lot of this that is shot for shot. A lot of the dialogue that is literally, you know, crossing the T's and dying the eyes of the same dialogue in the, in the, uh, comic book and Edgar Wright went out of his way to tell the actors not to blink during takes yes yes because he wanted yes. them to mimic the Japanese anime uh, feel because like I said again the original book um, this is straight from um, Brian Lee O'Malley is not manga but manga inspired so there goes that and like I said a lot of like a lot of um, like Canadian comics that's a just lot of when, to say a lot of when you use your body to talk I feel like that a lot of that's anime and so, like, when Matthew Patel is like, I'm the first, and he puts his hand up in the air. And the that first, is one of the best introductions. That's, but that's also very anime, right? Yes. Like, I am here to defeat you. you <laughs> I get wish you guys, oh my God, why can't you that's guys good, see right? this? That's pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could have been an Evo X, bro. Oh my God, that was great. You guys just missed it. look like Bobo, Bobo, Bobo. Yeah, look, I was doing uh, my best Ginyu Force impression. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um. He loses. My man Gideon Graves loses. He ends up getting uh, kicked in the head. Just as bad as he ain't had that. Dude, that was probably... That's, that is a gruesome editing. Yeah. Because you see the, the his body disappearing into coins. Everybody else, it was just the coins poofed. Well, first his head exploded into coins. Yeah, yeah and, and then, then that's where you see the rest of his yeah. body just turning into little bit of coins. It was so, like, actually gruesome. Like, if this was, like, a rated R movie... Like, if this was a real, like, a... Uh, an action movie where it wasn't comic book video game inspired yeah. this would be one gory bloody movie but that's the thing this thing is so video games all the iconography you see health bars you Dude, see I even think everything is in side scroll do you even see people I think people side scroll <laughs> that's funny 
Like uh, every time the the knives and when well, knives and a uh, Scott were hanging out, every time they would go cut oh, to a new walking, scene, yeah. it would side it would scroll to the a backgrounds new scene. that would change. Yeah, in. that's yeah. that's weird. That's... You got Zelda music up the wazoo, especially Final like that... Fantasy music. Uh, I don't know. Kongs and uh, booms and pows whenever there's punching tropes like getting a new life and uh, you know getting score getting higher scores for hitting more uh, combos and hitting more moves. They have all the video game references while also being incredibly comic booky, which is cool because those two genres often don't uh, come together in media. And so, but a lot of people who are into but one are make, into the other. They are like the same. They're like, yeah, because you know, they, they, they both deal with fantasy, but they both have that, um, like, a. Uh, Real life editing, where it's like in a video game, you see someone's talking and it says that like, the person that you're talking to says press X and press Y. Like, why would a video game character tell yeah, me yeah. to press X? If and, pre- a- and they're literally saying in their dialogue, "Oh, remember, if you want to jump, you just gotta press X." But it's the same thing in uh, in the comic. They go like, um, "Where did that happen? Or, or where did this come from?" And he'd be like, "Just read the other volume." Yes. Oh, oh my god! Go yes. Go like, did we cover this in volume two? Already? Yeah. He's like, "Just read the second volume, and you'll understand." And I'm like, "Is he really pointing them to the books that are written about his life?" Um, the film ends with Ramona. Uh, well, Knives and, and Scott's having some. No, it not was even Scott, Nega Scott. Yes, which who who actually showed up in the comics a few times to- in the graphic novel to fight him. Yeah, the negative version of Scott Pilgrim is is there to fight, and uh, you know the person I was watching with was like, "Oh no, like this is gonna be the biggest fight ever," and it literally just is a. Conversation. That's the best part about that. F- that the, the fight was supposed to be like that. Yeah, because like you're gonna fight yourself. Yeah, I, yes, I will fight fight myself. Like it was a big. Moments, a big mature no, yeah, he moment. He tells them, like, nope, this is all me, girls, yeah. don't worry about it. And they're actually outside talking to each other. Yep. That's and then, weird. And he just comes out and he's like, yeah, you just put bacon on the cheeseburger and it's great. But he's just saying some random stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, he's actually a good guy. Great. We're going to get coffee next week. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, a lot of people have made the joke that um, if Nega Scott is all the opposite to Scott, then he would be a good guy. And that's yep. why And that's, that's why he's a good yes, guy. Yes, that's what it was shown <laughs> in the book. In, like, yeah. book five, it was like... um. Negascott showed up in his dreams. Like a lot of his dream, uh, he had a lot of dream sequences where he couldn't like fight. Uh, he couldn't defeat the dream. Like uh, uh-huh. he's losing. Yeah, and it's his own. He's he's dreaming oh, he's about constantly dreaming in that book. Yeah, and he's and like, but it was specifically where he was dreaming. He was in a dreamland where he ha- where he didn't know the cheat codes. He didn't know what to do, and he just kept losing. And you see Negascott, man, this this book is just it's just ripe with so many little subtle details that's just hilarious to me. Yeah, but um, he defeats Negus. No, doesn't defeat Negus. Scott. They just get to a. Uh... They get to an understanding that Scott's Scott's the real Negus Scott. Yeah, and uh, they just walk away. Knives and him have a, a sweet little moment there, and then um, he still chooses to run after Ramona. Who well, walks she, away. I like that she let him go in a sense where it shows that he doesn't want to be with her, and if he was to end up with her in the alternate ending, it's not because he liked her. Mm-hmm. It's because you know Ramona walked away, and he's settling for the next thing. Like oh, I'm just gonna settle. Mm-hmm. Her, the way she just says, "Go after her. You did all of this for her, so go." And I'm too cool for you. I like that because it showed knives moving on. It showed knives accepting the fact that I'm gonna have a lot of boyfriends in my life. I'm gonna love a lot of guys. Not everybody's gonna be with me my entire life, and that's truly the point. Yeah. And for her to reach that stuff. The, just the and closure. maybe not Scott. That's what I say. Like she had the, per- she was the only character to get real closure. Yeah, and I'm telling you, that's a that's a real life lesson. Like that's a real something that you have to really learn, and you either learn it uh, from good advice or you learn it at rock break. bottom. Yeah, at like... rock bottom, and it's the idea that um, 
some people you, you first of all you can't force anyone to love you no matter how many evil exes that you fight you understand the person that chooses to love you is going to choose to love you for the kind of person that you are that's why you should always try to put the best of yourself out there in the world because the world can be a very beautiful place and it should see them as you know the best parts of you um because uh you hear all the time about like windows or doors of opportunity life is constantly open yep. with them and so if you have your head down if you're not paying attention, if you choose to just slum it through life and kind of like not give your best effort, you won't recognize when those windows are opening and closing. And I and think windows are the eyes to the house. Exactly. <laughs> and I think in this moment, um, Nia realizes that this man is never going to love her the way he loves Ramona. And maybe um, in giving well, him she up. She accepted herself. She accepted yeah. that I don't need to change who I am. And I don't got to be that. If that's what he wants, then he can get with that and somebody will want this. I mean, Yes, nice. and that's a perfect lesson to learn from. That's why I don't like the alternate ending because the real ending was so much more – had so much more depth to who yeah. Knives was as a character as opposed to everybody else. From personal experience, from what I've seen, what would eventually happen if that alternate ending came true, the one he gets with Knives, is that Knives will get to a point where she gets to be the age that Scott was and then realize that she wants more. And I've seen this in real That's life. What I'm I ha- That's what would I have. A, I have two friends yeah. that date that they were dating for five years, and this is the same exact like age gap. My friend was fifteen when she dated a twenty-year-old. Yeah, and she dated him until she was twenty-one. Yeah, and by the time she was twenty-one, he was almost into his thirties. Right, and so and he's when done she, living life, and she wants to when now live she life. got twenty-one, she realized I want to go out to the bar. I want to drink. I want guys to flirt with me. I want to be feel pretty. And she broke. She ended a five year relationship yeah, with a guy man. that she that she said she was in love with because she she's now an adult and she wants to live her life. Yeah. She was the age he was when he got with her, and now she sees that I need to be older. I need to be myself, and that's why this alternate ending is beautiful because Nice finally accepts you're not going to be good enough for everybody. Yeah. But you will be enough for the right person. Yes, and you don't need to cut your hair. And dye your hair and wear uh, Kim's outfits to get this stuff, yeah. to get this uh, approval of a guy that doesn't even have a job in this movie. And if you have, and if you have to fight this hard, and if you have to fight this much, you have is to it worth it? Much, is it worth it? Yeah, I think that's because because Scott pr- Scott ask. didn't change in a sense. No, like he was always the same Scott he was going to be. Yeah, the was, lazy of uh, every man coming. He's probably age. just more self like self aware and self. Um, he probably realizes that you know, like honesty is better now. That's if anything, he probably changed for the better through honesty and not lying. But other than that, Knives was really the one that walked away with a hero's journey. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I love. Once again, I just love this ending. She, she is the unsung hero of all this. Good she work, Knives. Truly is the Good unsung work, hero. A very underrated. Very like you look at Knives and it's like, wow, I remember being that age. Wow, I remember being infatuated with somebody I can't have. What do you think is your favorite joke? Uh oh my god! I really have to pick and choose. Yeah. Uh, and this is a different question. I, I, matter of fact, I'm gonna have you think on these two questions while I finish up. What is your favorite joke, and then what is your favorite recurring joke? Think on those two, because ultimately, what um happens, because I think it should be said, is that Ramona decides that she wants to start over, and Scott's like, "Well, let's let's start over together." Which I do think is sweet. That door represents the unknown and the idea that they would walk into the unknown together. Um. You know, I've said this oftentimes in my own relationship that uh, life is scary and life is rough and all that kind of stuff. But if we can stand together and face it, be a little bit less scary, a little, a little bit less rough. And I do think that um, that's the mentality that they're having there. And that is sweet in its own in its own, in I its was, own right. I was well said. Well said. Now, as far as my favorite joke goes, it has to be the one night stand joke. 
Okay. Like just thinking about, of, of, I'm thinking of all the jokes and what tops it for me as just being one, one clever, yeah. two something that that character would say, yeah, and three just getting me on the floor laughing. Yeah. I love that. Like, can this not be a one night stand? For one thing, I didn't even get any. Yeah. And the reoccurring joke that I love will always be the L word. Uh, lesbians. Lesbians. I. I'm in les. I'm in lesbians with you. What? Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, no, I really mean it. <laughs> yeah, because that's what that's when he like he thinks because he thinks he loves her. Yeah, he 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 hasn't earned the power of love yet. He hasn't seen that. Damn, this is what it feels like to be in knives position. Yeah, so he just goes out and he's like, wait, Ramon, I just gotta tell you, I'm in lesbians with you. Yeah. I really mean it. Yeah. So that whole lesbian thing was funny because he, when he finally says love, like I, comedy comes in three. So there was two specific points where he said, or one where. Uh, Wallace is like, you gotta break out the L word, uh-huh. lesbians. And then the second one was where he says, "I'm in lesbians with you." And then finally he tells her, "I'm in love with you." So I think just keeping that that was just great. Yeah, and yeah, it's so Scott. Good, it is so good. Scott. If you've to read these books, that one, yeah. And if you've read these ball. books, you would understand that that and it's from the book where where Wallace was like, "It's love, Scott. I really wasn't trying to trick you." Like that's from the yeah. book. So I love that Scott was like L word, lesbians. Yeah. You are so stupid. Yeah. I did like um bread makes makes you fat. When I, that's a that's yes. a line that I, I like from that. Just his his um his reaction to that. Like he legitimately didn't know. And a similar joke in there is right after that, when he sings her the song and she's like, Oh my god, that sounds cool. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Oh when it's finished. And he's like, Finished. <laughs> oh, okay man honor honorable mention then was when they were on the date for the first time. Yeah. And she's like, "Did I say date? Slip of the tongue." He's like, yeah. "Uh, tongue." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. It's like, how do you just get turned on by hearing the word tongue? He's like, "Uh." I'm trying tongue. to think of my favorite re- re- recurring joke. Um, I do think that all that vegan power stuff is out of control. I think yes. I guess my over lacto vegetarian. I guess my favorite reoccurring joke, but I don't know if it's a joke. I think it is though. Is um the Kim's like one, two, three, four? I think that that's one of my favorite things of this is like she's just gonna yell something ridiculous every time that she does this you know um and uh especially like when you saw her dejected and have to be like we're just like bomb bombs and we're doing this for money and stuff it was really cool then to see the whole we're sex bombs and we're here to watch scott pilgrim you know kick your teeth in and i thought that was really i really like good. that she gets upset when uh there was a girl drummer and crashing oh, the voice yeah. which is funny i did it kim <laughs> Kim standing right there. That face! Oh my god! Yeah. I don't know uh, when he when uh, when she's like, "How do you guys know Envy?" He's like, "Scott dated her," yeah. and her face just goes into that anime style. That's hilarious. But what I like, what I personally liked, was that every drummer in this show and yeah. comic was all girl. That is true. Kim was Kim Kim was a girl drummer. The the new drummer for Crashing Boys was a girl drummer. Yeah. The drummer for Clash of Demon Head was a girl. Yeah, this is true. So the three main bands that you see in this movie and show and comic. We're all female drummers. So to see Kim get upset that they have a girl drummer, knowing there's a girl drummer in every band in this medium, it, to me is just it, it's funny. It's it's subtle writing that you that you have to like pick up on your third time, fourth time watching. Definitely, and that's that attention to detail. You know, I I had to go into huge attention to detail watching this show, like watching this movie, because I really didn't notice that every X has a number for them. Unfortunately, um, this brilliant director Edgar Wright was removed from the Ant-Man film he and you could really see be... what his style was I, I completely think that Luis is a Edgar Wright creation that just seems no, like no that is a, Edgar Wright's creation just 
pure Edgar Wright. The whole going back with the flashback where he's like, so my friend was telling me, yo, man, did you know that there's a new this and this and that? And that just keeps cutting to new scene, new scene, new scene. That is 100% Edgar Wright's fast-paced editing. That's his style. And you see that the movie would have been a a lot more funnier. Like, I think they have, I think the MCU has a problem with comedy. Mm. I think the MCU has a problem with too much comedy. I think they don't want to be looked at as, okay, we're not the funny movie. We can have funny moments, but like, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 opted to go straight comedy. Like, all, every line, line was funny and dialogue, and it's not really looked at as one of the best MCU films. Yeah. But when you have films that are, like, dark, like Captain America Winter Soldier, that's considered the best standalone MCU film. So I, I, I like comedy in my superhero movies. And Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is hilarious. <laughs> There's the weirdest segue I ever did, but... But, it, you know, let's say the doors of Marvel are closed, but let's say the doors of DC are open. The question I have for you, sir, is which DC character would be best served with an Edgar Wright movie? Shazam. Shazam? Shazam would have been... Actually, that actually does work. First of all, I'm upset that you answered so quickly. I'm, I'm kind of upset because I, I wrote this question down and I was thinking about it for like three hours. What? <laughs> but Dude, that would have been a perfect... Sh- that's well, been a perfect Edgar Wright movie. I thought Plastic Man, right? Like, wow, yeah. Like, he's jokey and he's kind of like not the coolest power and he... Um, you know, he deals with a bunch of stuff there. He's, he, you know, he's a jokester. I try to think maybe Lobo, but I feel like Lobo is too bombastic. Like, I could just see a lot of Edgar Wright's styles working for Shazam's character. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Like, like, the, like you said, Especially the early the mundane, the mundane looking to be heroic and spectacular. He's yeah. a he's a eight, ten year old kid that got blessed with the powers of like every god in Greek mythology or whatever. Who knows? Maybe Shazam will be the Scott Pilgrim of its time. Hope, Young kids no, I, and their I have and their high hopes for because I've been waiting for a Captain Marvel or Shazam movie forever. I actually if that movie's bad, someone's gonna send me a clip of me saying this, and they're gonna <laughs> remember that time you said the Shazam could have been. Listen, it I, have, I still have hopes. I, I, I am, have hopes. Talk about you talk about the bad relationship that Gideon is with with Ramona. I'm in a I'm in the same relationship with DC. I had chip on my neck. I don't know why. You're still dating DC? Still Man. dating DC, bro. But listen, because I broke October, up with them because of Suicide Squad. But the thing is, Joker's coming, you understand? And they're good to me, and they're going to keep being good to me. They're going to keep treating me right. I think maybe, you know? <laughs> sort of. Kind of. Man of Steel. Oh, my God. I hate John Kent so much. But anyway, <laughs> we can't. Let, let's stop talking about uh, that terrible film, and let's uh, finish off talking about this. Great film. Yeah, it sucks, man. It sucks that it didn't get to make its, um, its budget back. And stuff. I do think that um, because of that, it will probably a film like this will probably be rare. But then that makes this film more important to the one hundred percent agree with you on that the one. overall history. The of, fact um, that this movie didn't make enough at the box office and only now getting a cult following is the fact that this is going to be the only of its kind. Yeah. When is the next time you are going to actually see an entertaining, good, well thought out story with comic book and video game elements? And you know blended so perfectly. And you know it's weird. In this age, in the age of universes, they would have taken great stakes to make the first movie the first volume, so that they could. Oh, make and they could have six volumes. There was so many characters that are introduced in the comic alone. You, uh, Kim moves out and has her own place, and now you meet these three other girls. While uh, Stephen Stills is trying to get uh, Sex with Bomb to have its first uh, album, yeah. so you meet another character. Scott gets a job, so you meet his coworkers. Right. Wallace always has different guys, like. There is a lot of characters that's always one-off introduced throughout the, all six volumes. And so, because they were able to compress it into something like this, guarantees no sequel. Because there is no sequel. We don't story, need a sequel, thank you know? God. Um, although I do think there's a few movies that right. doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, this is but, one of the few movies where it's like, we don't need a universe. We don't need a reboot. We don't need a remake. We don't need a sequel. This is perfect the way it is. And I hope... The same way that Inception became, you know, be- between the wah and the, and the um, buildings falling in on each other. Whenever you see buildings falling in on each other now, that's Inception. Whenever you hear that wah... Oh, when I hear the wah, the wong, that's, 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 that's the Inception wong. You know, and um, that, it's going to be that for this. It, the more video game tropes, the more video game noises, the more leaning on, on nerd and geek culture. You're just going to remember Scott Pilgrim did it first. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would also like to take this time to congratulate uh, Mr. Marcus C. Reed because he was the one that was able to crack. I how put did, up a poster. You, did, really? That was a really vague poster. I too. thought it was vague. That's a vague poster. But you know, it's, it's also one of those things like watching an M. Night Shyamalan or a uh, Nolan film where... Um, if you've seen it and you know what the twist is, when you watch it again, the twist seems so obvious. So I'm looking at the poster. I'm like, it looks incredibly obvious to me. It I hope it's me, not honestly. that obvious to everyone else. No, I had to but look. I had was to able look to put at your poster because I'm like, wait, what is this? He's like, wait, what are we covering today? <laughs> what are we recording? Yeah, it's like <laughs> I see like six people in the background, two in the front. It was just the, the way it was like drawn. Yeah, you chose the. Best Vegas poster you could have ever chose. Yeah, and uh, he was able to pick it up uh, right from the jump. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. The only clue that I had given was that this had a myriad of actors who had famously played people in DC and Marvel, and it does. It literally Captain Marvel. No, we Captain just America, named it like seven Human superheroes: Torch, The Punisher, The Shadow King. Everybody's in this. The Atom, Superman. Like it just it gets out of control, and that's why we had to do this. And we're doing this is our Valentine's Day episode. We have to get at uh, gotta get a love. a love type comic book movie. And this is about love and romance and yeah. heartbreak. Exactly. And so if you love stuff like this, especially like this episode of the podcast, go back and listen to all the other episodes of the Major Issues Podcast. Like I said, we got 70 plus in the can. That means there's gonna be enough of me to last past when I'm long gone from this earth. People gonna be finding uh in the dirt. These MP3s, and they're gonna they're gonna realize. We need to make a, a time capsule. That's it. We're gonna have to get a time capsule. Take all, take like a hundred of the best episodes, and just put it on a, that's on a it. thumb drive. A hundred episodes it. and a copy of Twilight, and that's it. <laughs> and that's, all, that's all you need. I am not gonna explain that <laughs> no. reference. I'm not gonna explain that reference. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. And we and we move forward. All the episodes of Major Issues are available wherever podcasts are found. That's Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Apple Podcast app. means if you have an Apple device, it's already pre-installed there for you. All you got to do is search for the podcast app on your iDevice and uh, type in the Major Issues podcast into the search bar. But if you don't want to do any of those, just go to your regular old search bar, Google or Ultra Vista to uh, type in. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> type in. <laughs> type in. The uh, Major Issues Podcast, and we'll be the first ones to pop right up. <laughs> Just don't try Ultra Vista, people. It yeah. doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Uh, we'll pop right up, man. Um, and uh, rate and review us on iTunes Give uh, if you got a chance. It gives us a real honest opinion about how we're doing and what we should be uh, improving on. And we're always trying to improve as podcasters. So feedback from our audience is always, get, um, you know, it's always great. And if you can give us a five stars, you know, that's always great too because then we get hooked up into the algorithm and everyone starts to see that this show in particular is one to be listened to. But if you do want to get your voice more heard, if you want to contact us directly, we are available on all social media platforms like 
Facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Or you can reach us at Major Issues CBC on our Twitter machine, which is growing little by little. Which I, I'm digging. I'm really digging the very, very, very slow I'm glad and, that we're and existential, depressing pace in which our Twitter is growing. But it is growing. And that's all that matters. You understand? Uh, uh, you know, watch pot doesn't bore you, I think. That's what they say. Something like that. Yes. Wow. I haven't heard that. That quote in a long time. A watched pot doesn't boil. I'm, Holy I'm crap. just full of gems today. I'm just full of gems today. Uh, but yeah, that uh, my name is George Serrano, aka the Don. I'm Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our Scott Pilgrim versus the World in-depth uh, recap and review. And so remember, whether or not you found your true love yet, whether or not you're patrolling high schools looking for the next best. Don't thing. do that. Don't unless you're. <laughs> don't do that. Guy. We're not tell, We are not promoting not pedophilia. Gonna, please. Major issues is not condone anyone going to a high school for for their love life. Uh, <laughs> I had to put in that disclaimer. Yet. <laughs> whether you're fickles or you dye your hair all kinds of colors, or whether or not you just need that futon for a whole week of sex, remember that we are the clique. You are loved and you, yes, you are worthy.